And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 616. Going to talk about some early top 200 2024 fantasy baseball hitter rankings. Going to talk a couple moves that have taken place since last recording on Monday in the uh, MLB hot stove world and much, much more. It's always fun talking to friends from PitcherList.com, having this gentleman come back on the show. So I've had him on previously. Got to hang out with him in First Pitch, Arizona once again which is always a treat and a delight and you can all follow him on twitter at if the chew fits chu fits scott chew how you doing my friend i'm doing fantastic the, the babies are sleeping haven't woke up it's like two hours now they're just staying Ooh, you down just jinxed the whole thing oh yeah <laughs> but i see i've got headphones on the wife doesn't so yeah i jinxed somebody not that's necessarily true. me that's true yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's the look. <laughs> over there. Yeah, for the video people, you just saw where that was like, "Oops, that was out loud." That's my that's my inside voice. <laughs> but how we doing, my friend? What do you got going on these days besides you know typing out every possible hitter under the sun? Oh my god, yeah, the fifty-page novella that I wrote about that. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, uh, you know, I actually <laughs> I took the week off work as well. So like between work and all this, I got burned out. So I took the week off, having an awesome time, doing nothing. Right. People say they keep saying like, oh, what what do you what are you doing for your day off? I'm like, nothing. It's the best. Like, oh, it's going to be a relaxing time. It's going to be whatever kind of time I want it to be. Right. Like probably relaxing. But hey, who knows? We're shooting for relaxing. If we get somewhere close to that, we're we're in good shape. Yeah. I mean, 100%. How, how relaxing can it really be? I got like eight month old twins over here. Like yep. it, it, the, the rela- like relaxing is capped. Right. It's like a hard cap on how relaxing it can be. But I'm taking all of it all the way up <laughs> yeah. to the cap. Yeah, and like the thing a lot of people probably don't care about for people that have, you know, little ones and whatnot, even the rough days, there's always that little moment where you're like, okay, this is fine. This will work. Like they make it all worth it in the end. So it's like you can have like the longest, most stressful day in the world. They do one little thing and you're like, okay, we're good. Everything's good in the world. (laughs) They're good at timing it like right before bed too. Right before bed, they'll like do something adorable. You're like, all right, I'll do it again. Right when they see you're about to lose every last inch of your being and then they're just like yeah okay we'll bring you back in um so yeah good stuff there Uh, i'm glad the little ones are sleeping and having fun hopefully they don't wake in the next hour or so but if they do yeah tell them join the show it'll be okay um it's finished with bubba we can have fun it's a family event Uh, but um like i said we're gonna talk some recent news a couple signs i recorded monday got most things we have a couple since then we'll talk about your rolling charts that you like to, you tweet out a lot they kind of roll uh, coincide with plv you gave a presentation at f pass which i said before the show people obviously weren't listening um i unfortunately didn't get to see because i believe i was recording my show at the same time as that was going on so that's the only thing about f pass we always joke about there's so much good stuff it can't be everywhere at once and then um we're gonna talk a little bit about the top 200 hitters he, he uh scott made kind of the process some names that stand out so on and so forth so We'll have some fun with this here. Well, let's start with the recent news, and some are bigger than others, but we'll start with Ronnie Mauricio, big-time prospect. He came up last towards the end of last year for the New York Mets, tore his ACL, uh, playing some winter ball, obviously out for the season. That's a bummer, but that opens the door for, like, there's already going to be Mauricio, Beatty, Vientos potential. Now it's Beatty, Vientos. Do you have any take on December 13th of how you see this shaking out? No. 
Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, really the big takeaway is the player we cared about was Mauricio, right? Like that's the 100%. one we wanted to see him get the full-time job. We wanted to see him use some of that power speed combo. And now we won't, right? Like he's going to miss a, a decent chunk of the season. Who knows how conservatively they'll bring him up. We don't know how competitive the Mets are going to be, but uh, I mean, it's not like they're looking as competitive as they were a year ago, right? Like when yep. they had made all those signings. So uh, I mean, it's, it's just sad right now. Yeah, it's crazy. A team that spent like almost a billion dollars, it feels like. Now they're kind of bargain basement hunting. It's tra- trading guys off. Alonzo's on the trading block. It's crazy there. But you're right. The Mauricio thing, that was the one we all wanted, uh, at least fantasy world-wise, that we wanted. Vientos looked like he'd be the DH at the time. Now he might get third base eligibility instead of util only. I think it'll be a platoon lefty-righty situation for the most part with Beatty and Vientos. Obviously more to monitor, but uh, that'd be my two cents. If anything, the glimmer of hope is Vientos gets third base eligibility at some point this season, and that's what you got to go off of. Big time power bat, but I think it's a platoon. Former Met, former Padre, now Kansas City Royal, Seth Lugo gets a nice little deal, three years, 45 mil with an opt-out after year two. We don't care about that for fantasy, of course, but he goes to the Royals, a nice pitching ballpark. Uh, Lugo had a really strong season last year. Uh, I was kind of interested in, about him in drafts already, but him landing in Kansas City, does that do anything to excite you more or less? Kind of the same on Seth Lugo? I mean, I, I like it for ratio purposes. Uh, it, it's not as though they can't develop pitching, right? They had Cole yeah. Reagans. Like they they figured something out for somebody. Uh, this was actually the first time we saw Seth Lugo in the majors pitch more than 101 innings, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I'm a little interest, interested to see how that goes. It's not like he's young. He's not a spring chicken. The guy's going to be 34. Uh, this season it but it's not exciting right because like how does he get to eight wins again right he went eight and seven with the Padres how does he get to eight wins again so like yeah if you're like in a quality start league or you don't care about wins specifically then Kansas City is as good a place as any I guess because it is a very friendly ballpark uh certainly at least as friendly as the one he just left but it's not as though he's going to get a ton of run support yeah, the run support's going to be a massive problem. 100% on board with you there. Um, you're, as Nick is in the chat saying that your your check is catched, you mentioned Reagan's on the show in the first five minutes, so you're good there. That's a pitcher list approved. Um, but the thing I like about Lugo, I guess, in this scenario is I agree 100% the inning situation because you take that kind of jump, there are concerns there. But what I will say, the Royals are such a young staff and him being almost, 30, over like almost 35, 34, 35, they have no excuse not to just use him for as many innings as he can possibly throw. Like they need him to fill innings. And that's the only upside. ADP is like 280. He's going next to Michael Walker. So Lugo's got the strikeout upside there. So that's kind of intriguing. But uh, I'm with you. I, you see pitchers make that jump no matter the age. And you get kind of like, huh, how's this next year going to go on that arm? But we'll see how that goes. The big one in my neck of the woods, and I've, if you if you're a Giants fan, you've seen every positive and negative thought on the Jung Hoo Lee signing with the San Francisco Giants KBO MVP uh, in the past. He's like 24, 25, super young center fielder. Um, any thoughts on this one? Because I've seen comparisons to the next great thing to he's going to be an average. Like you better hope you're getting a slap hitter type guy. Yeah. So the KBO is interesting that. We see pitchers go to the KBO a lot. We don't see tons of hitters come back uh, from there. I mean, I think the most recent one that people bring up is Kim over in, in San Diego. Mm-hmm. 
what's really interesting about that league is it's so contact oriented, right? Like there's not a lot of strikeout pitching there. It's a lot of guys who throw softer, who throw a lot of breaking stuff. So on one hand, you know, I do think he can come right over and have a really impact hit tool, right? I I like Lee a lot in points leagues because he's going to make a boatload of contact. He's going to take walks. I think that part comes over and it plays the real question with Lee. And you know, I'm not, this is not unique to me. I'm not the only one who said this, but it's going to be how he deals with the upper heat. You just don't see it in the KBO. The KBO does not bring a lot of 95, 96, much less 99, 100, right? It's just not over there. So how he deals with that, especially like some of that stuff up, that I think is going to be the key to Lee and whether or not he can really be something more than a uh, like Jeff McNeil type uh, who slaps the ball, puts in play, could hit double digit home runs, right? Like might steal six to 10 bases, but, uh, like that's to right now, unless we see some power that we never saw, uh, or he instantly adapts to that fastball speed. Like you're really, that's the upside play. I think you're hoping for like a Jeff McNeil type with better stats because the giants do some better stuff around him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the comp McNeil, Stephen Kwan, those types. You're hearing a lot of those comps where the hit tool should be very, very good. OBP skills are great. That's why I love the points league call. That's like a really, really strong. Like he should get elevated tremendously because he'll be at the top of the Giants order. He's going to get on base a ton. The Giants aren't great, obviously, but if still he'll still score a good amount of runs up top there. And that, that'll help a lot as well. It's the power that's the big question mark, especially in that ballpark, right? Center field, triples alley. That's going to be dreadful. So he has to pull the ball to have any success, like hard pull to have any success in that ballpark. Um, and then you mentioned the velocity thing, and that's the big thing I've been reading the last few days is like the KBO's average or velocity is like 91 and baseball is like MLB's average is like 94, 95. And you mentioned there's also the guys that obviously throw heat like cheddar. And um, that's going to be his biggest bugaboo. I believe it was Chris Clegg tweeted out some uh, information about um, the few guys that did throw in the high nineties or mid to high nineties in, in Korea that Lee faced was like, if it was 93 plus, he only hit like 260 or two something. And, uh, 94 plus was like you got a 270 but still wasn't great compared to the 300 plus hitter they were seeing because everything's so slow and his contact rates are great like you said but again the velocity so i'm torn as a giants fan i'm glad they did something like it's because it's just been so difficult watching them strike out on every possible uh free agent the last couple of years and i'm optimistic he can play center field pretty well you know basically set the tables but when it comes to fantasy, my optimism has been dwindling a little bit more compared to what it was ahead of time, kind of reading, listening to what, what you said and other people, where it's like, yeah, it might be a little bit. Then again, he's still super young. Maybe he maybe bulks up a little. Maybe he works on the uh, launch angle. Two of his seven seasons in, in the minors, because he went straight from high school, I mean, to in KBO, went straight to the bigs out of high school. Two of his seven seasons, he did have double-digit homers. So it's there. It's just a matter of, the consistency back so similar to Jeff McNeil. He had that one monster year, and then it's like, where'd the rest of it go? Well, I mean, that was also in 2019. So, like, it's so we, so we sort of know where yes, it went. True. But yeah, I will just say, you know, I don't like comping him to Haseon Kim because I don't yeah. think they're that similar as players. No. I will say, Kim did not hit fastballs very well in his first season. It was the yeah. exact same issue. Uh, his his expected Woba against them was like um, like a little over 275. Uh, last I looked, it wasn't great. So that could be a first year adjustment. And again, we don't know how fast that will happen. We just know it's the thing to watch because that really unlocks his success longer term, right? Once he will figure it out, I think you don't have that good of a hit tool and just never hit heat, right? But it does take time to adjust to it. I mean, the cage does not 
do the same thing. He's going to need spring training. He's going to need, especially early in the season. We're going to have to see how that plays out. Yeah. And the Kim comps, uh, the way you said it, I like a lot. I, the way I like to comp him to Kim is it's like, okay, year one, it might be a struggle. Like that's a reality of the situation. But by year two and year three, I think we will see a very good professional hitter. And I just don't know if it's like the power, like you mentioned, Kim, you can see in Kim's swing, there is an uppercut in that swing. Like he has the power to do it. He's a righty, all that good stuff where I don't know if Lee quite has that, but you know, we'll see time will tell, but the hit tool like this year, I'm waiting for the struggles to come and everybody's saying it was a horrible signing, but maybe in 25 or 26, we're like, okay, that's, that's not as bad as we thought. We'll, we'll wait and see. And the last piece of news we have here, Rowdy Telez, uh, after basically a lost 2023 season, Signs with the Pittsburgh Pirates. We've seen this before. Carlos Santana did this and was like sneakily good before he went to Milwaukee. Like I'm not, I'm not talking fantasy world buster here, but you know we could see Rowdy, you know, play close to 100 games for Pittsburgh and any fantasy relevance for you there. He's gonna play, right? Yeah. Like a lot of teams. I, I mean, there's a reason guys like this go to Pittsburgh, and it's yep. to play. Right? It's not like Pittsburgh's got some like first base prospect that's going to come up. Like, how much do you think they really want to platoon him with what Connor Joe? Exactly. Right. Like, I mean, they're they want to see they want to see Rowdy Telez hit uh, either because they think he can be part of their team when they're competitive. Which I I mean, he's 28, so he's not young enough for their competitive window probably uh, <laughs> in, in Pittsburgh. But uh, we know that you go to Pittsburgh because you can play, and they yeah. could trade him. Right. Like who knows how much they get, whatever. But to Les, you know, he had that one great year. It was 2022 and he, he played the full season right now. Most teams will find that to is too exposed against left-handed pitching to play every day. He doesn't help you on those days. So they, they platoon it. The pirates don't care, right? Like yep. they, they're just not that interested in whether to is great against lefties. Cause they don't really have anyone else to play sure. there. So you might as well let him, you might as well see if he can hit a bunch of home runs and, be a lefty in your lineup and just kind of go with it. So it's a great landing spot for him for fantasy because it makes him much more viable because he will play every day. Again, even in fantasy, he's probably best platooned, but deeper leagues, 15 team leagues, things like that. Uh, he's going to play enough. And in OBP leagues, I mean, his OBP was not great because his batting average was so bad, but it, it doesn't, it, maybe it doesn't hurt quite as bad as the batting average. Either way, he's got a shot to be a meaningful corner infielder. I'm not talking first baseman. I'm not talking 12 team. None of that. But yep. he could be a good corner infield in deep leagues. And deep leagues, a good corner infield. I love him in draft and hold formats right now. If you're taking deeper leagues, because you can literally put him in for the you know weeks where he faces a lot of righties or something and, and enjoy that. Um, there is definitely a, a, a pathway to some fantasy goodness if you can stream it properly. And I think there's a lot to like there with Rowdy Telez. And I'm rooting for him. I always love Rowdy. I like the big boys that get their shots. And Rowdy's just fun. Like he smiles. He enjoys baseball. So let's have a little fun out there. All right. Let's talk about some rolling charts. And it kind of interlines with PLV and all the stuff going on at Pitcher List. But the thing with Chu, besides Scott Chu, besides a lot of his just great information and his wonderful style that he brings to the table, is um, – uh, he he tweets out a lot of really cool charts and he obviously puts them in his articles and stuff too, but it always catches my eyes. You know, I was telling him before the show is his charts are easy for me to understand because, you know, caveman over here, I can understand the next and a Y axis and see how things go up and down. We're good. And rolling charts becoming more and more popular. So I kind of wanted to pick Scott's brain on this and how he utilizes rolling charts. Now he utilizes it with PLV or fan graphs or whatever he's using at the time, probably PLV company, man, but there are options here. So let's just start at the, the top uh, Scott. Like, 
what are you looking for a rolling charts? Like what um, what brings you to look at a player per se to get going on rolling charts? Yeah, so I think the best way to start that conversation is the the place we're going to go, right? I mean, I just wrote this huge article about year-long stats and stuff like that. The problem with year-long stats, especially things like rates, like batting averages or strikeout rates or things like that, is they, they're just, they don't tell you the story, right? I mean, one of the reasons I like the rolling chart is because let's say a guy hit 250, Right. And you could even look at the splits and say, oh, what did the splits look like up and down, whatever. But the rolling charts really tell you the journey. Like, how did they get there? Was it I mean, a great example would be like Alejandro Kirk in 2022. Right. When you look at his end season slug, it's really good. And it all comes from like a month and a half of action. Right. Or even Boba Chet last season. Right. Like his stats or, or Trey Turner. So much of it comes from one big spike like that is a story. Right. It's more than just the monthly spits because months are arbitrary endpoints. Right. They they're just months come and go like players don't change because it's June 1st now. Right. But they do change throughout the season. Every player changes constantly. I talk about it in the presentation. I'm going to do probably something like that presentation again uh, when we do PitchCon. But be great. The biggest thing is players change constantly throughout the season. Right. Like they're just not static numbers. Even back when Chris Davis was hitting 247 every single day, right? He wasn't hitting 247 every single day. It came with ups and downs. And understanding those ups and downs, especially with young players, can help you understand what to expect in the future. You can't just go year stat, year stat. This is what I think it's going to, you know, this is what I think is going to happen. That works for players that have been in the league 5, 10, 15 years. It doesn't work like in season, right? So in season, we want to know, are players doing something better? Are they doing something worse? And we can't just do that with like, well, what are, what are his last 15 days, right? What's the last 30 days? No, no, no. Show me something that has samples baked into it, right? Each plot on the graph is a certain number of plate appearances or games or something like that. Show me that. See the ups and downs. Are things getting better? Are things getting worse? What does that look like? Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And that kind of in a roundabout way, it's what I like even when I do like my DFS or I'm looking for streaming hitters for my fab articles or things like that. You know, I might be doing the 15 to 30 day samples, but in the roundabout way, it's like if I look at if I'm in if I'm in July and I look at the whole season before as a whole, like you said, that even that doesn't tell the whole story because he could add a bad April. A lot of guys have bad Aprils. You look at the end of the season, it's different. So I guess trying to see uh the peaks and the valleys and maybe what when you see a peak or a valley well, what caused that is it the swinging strike is it the you know o contacts o swing all these different factors of the world so let's go to the time frame part i'm gonna hop around here on the outline because you kind of said like you know the whole there's stories based on when you're looking what kind of time frame are you looking at like i've you know i used to record with toby all the time bat flip crazy and he loved his rolling graphs on fan graphs and he would say it's like um he'd do anywhere from 15 to 45 days is always dependent on the stat, I guess. But mm -hmm. what are you looking for in the time frame? If you want to interweave it into the, the stats you're looking at, that's totally fine too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm obviously it changes from stat to stat, right? Like certain stats are terrible with rolling charts because they like never stabilize, right? So like batting average is actually one that I just never look at. I don't care about your rolling regular batting average because, or like Babbitt or something. It, it just doesn't to, to get a good sample of that. I need like, you know, like, 500 at bats at a time, right? Otherwise it's totally random. So, uh, I try to focus on stats that are a little more 
mobile. And when I say mobile, what I mean is like, I get a meaningful sample for strikeout rate in like 50 plate appearances. There's like something valuable that you can learn from strikeout rate in 50 plate appearances. So that's roughly like 50, you know, fan graphs, they're rolling charts. They're awesome. You go to the graphs tab and you just sort by, uh, by gate or you just tell it, you know, say by year or month, do it by game. It'll give you a rolling chart and it starts at 15 days. That's roughly 50 plate appearances ish, maybe a little less because players, you know, they have days off and stuff like that. Uh, but that, you know, that 50 is really good for like strikeout rate, walk rate, things like that. Um, after that, I could go into like every single little stabilization point, but I'm not a math guy like that. I can't tell you like all of those different values. What I will tell you is this, you can learn a lot just by looking at the chart itself. If you see a lot of like really uh, erratic spikes and flat lines, that means your sample's too small, right? It's just True. not. It's just way too small. So it, it's not it, rolling. It's not rolling now. Yeah, it, it can be a little jagged, right? But if it's like really jagged and everything, you know, it's just like up, down, flat line, up, down, flat. like that's that's way too small. Uh, you'll know it's too big when it barely moves, right? Like players just yeah. aren't that stable. So play like play with the numbers until, you know, I'm not just I'm not just going to say like, oh, play with it until it means something because it won't always mean something. But play with it until, you know, generally, like, for example, on PLV, we actually state like we start you out at a good point, right? We start you at a good number. And if you want to use different numbers, just base it on the total number of at bats or plate appearances or whatever that they had in the season. Right. So a lot of ours on, on PLV are cool because they're they're skill metrics. They're not uh, they're not just stats. Their contact ability, we can talk about these more later, but they're really cool. But we start you out at a point, and sometimes I'll just start with, okay, cut that in half because I changed the sample from overall ju to just against left-handed pitching, right? So yes, I'm going to get a less meaningful number because I'm using a smaller sample, but also, you know, I, it doesn't mean I can't get meaning from it. It just means it's a little less reliable, right? As long as the chart's still, you know, it's still moving. It's not just like the flat lines, or whatever, it's still valuable. I just have to also understand that the sample I'm using is smaller. So it could be random or it could be less meaningful than the full thing. But I always, I don't always have 200 plate appearances to wait to find out if a guy's changing, right? By that point, I mean, that's a third of the season. So you can use smaller ones. You just have to know that it's small. That's a great point because, you know, we, we're happy if a player gets 600 plate appearances in a season. So you, you got to kind of pick and choose your battles. And a lot of guys with platoons these days, like 450 is pretty strong. So where are you looking at that? And then the biggest thing, or we're talking about these young players we're going to talk about, like your, your samples got real small. That could be like two months, two weeks. Like you're all over the board in that regard. So like you said, like, I guess, um, you know, look at the graph and then kind of build your like philosophy or story around that and kind of like fine tune it from there is, is a really good point to look at it. Uh, just for fun, and I'm guessing I know the answer here, but I want to hear it from you. Um, how do you pick the player you're looking for? Is it just based on the content you're writing? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's a huge yeah, part of it. But it's a, also, yeah. so it's also just about, you know, I don't start with rolling charts, right? Okay, because a, a rolling chart is a very specific narrative piece, right? Like the biggest thing rolling charts do is help you understand narrative. They help you understand why, you know, how did something happen? What did it look like? It can't always tell you the why, but it can give you a lot of information about what actually happened from day to day. But that's not where you start with these stories, right? You start with, uh, you know, Trey Turner was a good example. I'm like, man, he stinks, right? Like first half of the season, even longer than that. It's like, wow, he's not doing well. 
when I see like on the player page, something's happening that's very different or unexpected. Uh, that's when I really start jumping into a rolling chart. So when I see a player strikeout rate is down, right? I'll say, okay, show me the rolling chart and let me look at last season too, right? Like what is this like part of a trend? Is this something brand new? Uh, the example I used at first pitch Arizona that unfortunately I had to have on the board like the whole time because the internet stopped working the way I wanted it to <laughs> was Jake Berger. So Jake yeah. Berger had That's a good one though. So when you look, so the, the common narrative that was happening and it may still be happening is people said, Oh, look, he goes to Miami. The strikeout rate comes way down, right? You say, look at the Chicago strikeout rate versus the Miami strikeout rate. It's a huge difference. And the rolling chart told me that that's the wrong narrative. Right. And the reason it's the wrong narrative is because the strikeout rate was all like the rolling strikeout rate was already plummeting. It was already coming down. Miami just noticed it. Right. It just, yeah. it didn't change. Like the path to project, like the, the trajectory didn't change after he goes to Miami. It's just like a random point on that little dot because going to Miami was random for this. They didn't change True. him. They noticed he already was changing is more likely. Right. They already noticed that. Dude, this guy has figured something out with his strikeout rate. He has figured out how to prevent that third strike. That's why they wanted him. Not because they saw something they could tweak. It's probably because they saw a player who had changed and who is now much more valuable than the stats had shown before. And that's something you can do as a fantasy manager too, right? Like you're not waiting for some random event for people to attach that narrative to. Easy narrative to make. Oh, Miami, they had, you know, they had a really good front office. Like they're figuring things out. But they went and found a guy who already did that, right? Yeah. I mean, just like Nick mentioned in the chat, the Royals had nothing to do with Reagans. I assumed it was the Royals because yeah, we all, all of a sudden shows up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but if you but if you're watching these, you can find out that's the wrong narrative just by watching these players develop, right? So, yep. rolling charts give you a very visual representation of that development. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but it gives you that visual representation to help you understand that's why it's happening. Like uh, Christopher Morel, super mm -hmm. erratic player. We have a really great stat at PitcherList. I'm a company man. Uh, it's called decision value. And it's not about the outcome of the swing or the take. It's all about the player chose to swing or not swing. Was that, and based on the pitch location, the count, the pitch type, the speed, the, you know, the everything, right? The spin rate, uh, what, you know, what happened before, you know, what the pitches were before, all those things. Was that, you know, does our model think that was the right decision or the wrong decision? Forgetting about what actually happens afterwards, right? Like if they did swing, we could call it a bad decision, even though they hit it out of the park, yeah. right? Because most players shouldn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. we, we might say most players should not swing at this. The outcomes are usually very bad. Yep. With Christopher Morrell, his decision-making is wildly inconsistent, Right he makes really good decisions and then he goes to start making really bad decisions. And a lot of it is because he becomes more aggressive at times. And, you know, then he stops being so aggressive. It, it's really erratic. And until he's able to find ways to stabilize that, it's unlikely that he'll ever be consistent, right? Because yeah. baseball is a mental game. And when you're not consistently making good decisions, it's going to be really hard to be successful unless you have some kind of tool that's, you know, out of this world, lets you do that. Right. He's not exactly a hit tool player, but he is someone that will swing and miss a lot. So when he's not making good decisions, it's hard knowing that part of the narrative that his decision value is really erratic. It's not as though he just needs to make a little tweak right now. Decision value is something players can improve, right? In fact, it's one of the easier things that they can improve because it's all mental. Yes. 100%. Right. Yep. It's much harder to be, to be someone who hits the ball harder. It is hard to become someone who 
makes better, like who makes more contact. Right. But it is very possible to say, I'm not going to swing at that anymore. This is actually something Ellie De La Cruz did. Like he actually got better. Bring that up. That was one of your, your rolling (laughs) graphs out in a big way. I mean, that's something he got better at. Was he always, is he great at it? No, not necessarily, but it's something he can get better. at. Well, someone with his talent, just a small improvement can be tremendous in the overall success of a player. You don't need Ellie De La Cruz to be Joey Votto. That's just not what you need him to be. Someone with like, you don't want him to be right with that kind of power, with that kind of speed. You want that boy swinging the bat. You want him that you want that. I mean, I should call boy. He's a grown man. He's huge, right? He should be swinging the bat every chance he gets if he thinks he can hit it. And actually that was another cool thing that our skill metrics showed me is that Ellie De La Cruz is excellent at making contact. The reason we think he's bad at contact is because he swings at things that nobody should ever swing at. But when he does swing, he is way more likely to make contact than another player against everything, right? Like those pitches like down in the dirt, he actually will connect with them. It just often leads to weak ground balls. That's why it's a bad decision to do that. But he does make contact and he's really good at it. It's just, he shouldn't, right? He should let that go because the, the take is always better than the swing on those uh, particular pitches, but like, that's the amazing thing. And, and seeing that, seeing him grow there, even though the stats never really panned out yet because we didn't have a big sample, he was still struggling with this a bit, <clears throat> but seeing the growth in that direction, if I notice it, the reds noticed, Yes, right. I'm not smarter than the reds. If I noticed, they noticed he's going to like, they're going to keep working on this with him. I think he can very much take in the next step. I don't know when, but I can, I see the pattern there. It is something that he can do whether or not he will totally different story, but at least I know the, like the trajectory is there. The ability is there. And the mental part was really getting there as the season went on. Yeah. It's interesting. I pulled up his page while you were talking there and like on the season an 84% zone contact, I'm on the fan graphs, um, but only a 45% swing rate. He's like, so like, and he had like an 18% called strike rate to go with his 30% CSW. He only had a 12% swinging strike. Like that's really all things considered when people think he's just like, it's crazy. I'm going to swing at everything. Like it goes to your story. He's making contact on most things he swings at. It's just a matter of, even if it's in or out of the zone, um, it's just a matter of, like you said, the decision part of it is, is how does that come to be? And that'll come with time. He is very, very young. So that is a beautiful situation for him to be with, but like when you when you're looking at this decision value, and I'm gonna kind of you mentioned it, so I'm gonna ask some questions on this one because I know you've done some work with that as well. Um, have you found is it strictly you just look at the rolling charts decision value? Have you guys found like another way to utilize the concept of decision value to uh, kind of track players a little differently, or is it all strictly on the rolling graphs? Yeah, so the rolling graphs are the most interesting way to do it. Uh, now we do, you know. Uh, you know, Kyle did an awesome job. He made these the, actually the first thing you see when you pull up our, our PLV stuff, which is, is free until February, pull it up and you'll actually see that he put it on like a scouts grade, right? Like 20 to 80 scale. And you can see like season long, how did this grade out? Decision value is really cool, but I, I, I'm glad you brought it up because there's one thing I want to talk about with decision value. And that decision value is all about, you know, whether it was a good decision for a normal player, Bingo. not okay. for that player specifically. Right. So um, 
you know, like decision values, it always defaults uh, when you pull it up to Juan Soto and decision value, right? Decision value. Guessing this decision value is pretty good. Just all the time. Yeah, all the time. Like the, <laughs> his worst decision making moments throughout the season are roughly 90th percentile in the league. It's actually my favorite part about these graphs that other graphs don't do. Uh, the the Statcast ones, if you go to their page, they'll show you like MLB average. Fan graphs will tell you the players average. Like at the end of the season, mm-hmm. ours tell you uh percentile for the league for that stat in that situation right yeah. so if you pull it up for like you can break it down by pitch type like we do three major pitch type like fastball breaking ball off speed like if you pull up uh Juan Soto versus lefties fastball those percentile numbers will show you 90th 75th average and then we'll show you uh 25th and 10th right mm-hmm. I'll show you all that those numbers are dynamic based on the parameters you put in, right? So we're going to show you when it says this is 90th percentile decision value, it means against lefties throwing fastballs, fastballs. Yeah. right? So, so it's a really cool stat, but again, not every player is Juan Soto. Not every player should be Juan yeah. Soto, right? So uh, I used Ellie De La Cruz as one example. Another is uh, Michael Harris. So Michael Harris yeah. is a guy who swings a lot more. Right. Uh, some players are just more aggressive. He swings a lot more. He gets away with making average decisions, sometimes worse, because he's really good at making contact. Right. He's really good at getting the bats of the ball. Luis Arias, actually, you know, he's got amazing play discipline, but it's not because he's a good decision maker. That, uh, like that, uh, play discipline all comes from I can hit anything. Right. Like it's he fair. doesn't care because yeah. Luis Arias is not trying to hit the ball 400 feet. Like That's ever, true. because he never does. <laughs> I'd love to see Tony Gwynn. To... I'd love to see Tony Gwynn's because he was the yeah. same way. I just want to get base hits, basically, and see where and, it goes. And I can, you know, I I didn't invent that. I'll tell you, Tony Gwynn's was probably terrible. It, yeah. Our our model would tell us that he has terrible decision value, and that we also don't care because his yep. contact ability was through the roof. Yep. Right? He doesn't need to make a good decision on that fastball two inches above the zone. Because yep. if he like if he wants to hit a single with it, he will. I mean, that's what Luis Arias does. Luis Arias sees pitch and says, "Can I hit a single with that?" And then if yes, he swings. Which you know, like for a lot of players, that's not a great decision, right? Because they're not that good at putting the bat on the ball. They're not trying to just go up there and hit singles. But for players that do that, break those molds, that's totally fine. Yep. It's absolutely fine for them for a guy like Luis Arias to make bad decisions or Ellie De La Cruz or Orneal Cruz, right? Both those guys, they don't need to be amazing decision makers. They need to be average decision makers to be elite players. There's a couple things there that'd be fun to look into some more. Is like, are there buckets of batting average guys without power, like in a rise? Are we just like slapping it around and the decisions are bad? Or are there guys with like, you know, 40 plus home run power, maybe like a Schwarber or a Solaire, um, but their averages stink, but they're like super, super, like we don't swing unless it's our pitch. We're going to crush situation. Those would be fun dynamics. And to your other point, um, like you mentioned with LA Day, the cruise, these other guys, like they don't, they don't have to be super di- like dis- disciplined or super great at decision-making. And we've noticed that in recent years with guys like, you know, from like one season to the next, you see the power decline and this and that. Then you go look at their swing rates. You look at all these things. Like they got super like cautious at the plate. Like they just started taking more pitches. And next thing you know, uh, it's like a two strike count. And now they're swinging at stuff. They can't really get hits on because they don't want to strike out. Uh, so there's like a whole different deal like uh, about that. So that's why it's interesting. Like you said, is the decision value is a metric, but it's not like everyone has to be 
phenomenal at the decision because it's just it's it's kind of what outcome are you looking for and i know plv uh bases on if is it a you know should have been a good outcome not a good outcome and those kind of things like that's part of the cha-cha but um that's very interesting. The decision value. I remember seeing that last year and kind of poking around at it. And there's a lot I'm still trying to learn with that one, but it is it's quite an enticing tool. If you want to, I guess, see where they're flourishing and if they should or shouldn't be, I guess, maybe something like that. So it's interesting. Yeah. Schwarber is actually a very good decision maker. He did have a period this season where he was not making great decisions. Yeah. Uh, I haven't lined it up timing wise. It was either when he was really hot or really cold, right? <laughs> he was either yeah. cold because he was making bad decisions or he was making bad decisions because he was really hot and we're just sending everything out of the park. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, that's Kyle Schwarber, but he makes amazing decisions because that's what he does. He's a patient guy. And yeah. again, it's just so important to like, just remember that, Players can succeed with different skill sets, 100%. right? Like they, they absolutely can. And they can be really good at certain things. Like you could talk about like Davis Schneider, who has amazing power and amazing decision value, right? He makes really good. He made really good decisions. He had really great power. His problem. He's terrible at making contact. You can make the right decision every time, but if you swing the bat and don't connect, it doesn't matter how good your decision was, right? It's a huge thing that we see with a lot of, especially power hitters who, uh, you know, other guys like this might've been, you know, DJ Stewart, another guy who's like pretty good at making decisions, good power, but terrible at making contact. It's going to be really hard to succeed that way. James Outman, another one, yeah. really, really good at making decisions, has plenty of power and misses a lot. Aaron judge is actually this way, but it's fine because every time he connects, it goes a million feet. So yeah, it's 200 miles down off the bat. So it doesn't really matter what's going on there. Just don't be in the way of it. Um, a couple of questions. This could be maybe baked into the, the the statistic and tool already, and I'm just totally overlooking it here. So you're you're mentioning the decision, the good, the bad decisions, and then you're mentioning it doesn't even matter if they're not that good at decisions because they're just making contact all the time. But is there a way to factor in? Okay, sure, they're making contact all the time, but the quality of contact's not good. Like, is there like a factor in that scenario of, you know, okay, because that's one thing I looked at. Okay, Tyler O'Neill is my example. Um, he's become more disciplined at the plate. I'm not. Even, I haven't even looked at the decision value. He could be horrible at it, but he he was very much less aggressive each season's dropped down. He's hitting more ground balls because he's he's ending up swinging at pitches. He's making contact. Contact's fine, but he's making it on pitches like down and away uh, stuff where you're not gonna you know hit for a lot of power stuff like that. Is that factored in, or is that just another thing to look at after you see the first few steps? Yeah. So it's not a it's not a factor in the individual stat. But it's also why decision value on its own is not, it's not. Oh, none of these want, stats are right? MLB. All. Yeah. So it's just, it's just exactly. another tool to dig in more, but that's why, that's why I was curious on that one. Yeah. So actually I'm glad I hadn't looked at this. I'm looking at Tyler O'Neill right now. You may be surprised to know that at the start of 2023, his decision-making was very average by the end of the season. He was in the top five, 10% of the league yeah. in making decisions, right? It, it goes, it basically goes up and just stays up. It, it's really interesting. It makes me actually slightly more interested in Tyler O'Neill. I'm I very was. interested. If he gets more aggressive on the inside part of the play, it could be coming. Yeah. And, and, you know, his power is consistently above average, right? So, so that's really good. Now I'm going to look at his contact. Uh, it improved, starts yep. in like the bottom 25th percentile. Uh, moves up to about the middle, right? And it's a funny decision value and contactability are not at all actually connected, right? Like they measure two totally different things. Uh, one of them is a pitch level stat. The other is a swing level stat. Contactability is just when you swung, were you more or less likely to make contact based on the rest of the league, right? Yep. He starts out the season uh, between like 
four to six percent less likely to make contact. That's that's pretty significant. So six percent would put you at about the bottom twenty fifth percentile of the league. Meaning when you swing, uh, you're six percent less likely to make contact. MLB average, of course, it's zero. Uh, that one's always a flat zero, and that's where he gets up to towards the end of the season. So O'Neill gets better at making contact as the season goes on. I'm very interested now to see if it's connected to like any specific pitch type. I'm going to look at fastballs. He was not very good at connecting with those compared to the rest of the league. Uh, breaking balls. Yeah, he didn't see that many of them. He didn't swing at that many. There's got to adjust the sample here. Um, but he was very average against breaking balls. So, I mean, so that's a plus, but it was, it was flat, right? He like, he's kind of the same for the whole season. So, interesting there that he gets better uh looks like it's just like sort of a little bit better against everything but it's again that's how that's how this whole process for me works right you talk to me about you know someone mentioned something or i see something where i'm like oh tyler o'neill you what what happened last year did he seem to get better the season went on right did someone did he have a good second half good month or whatever i say okay what where could that have come from and now i can see i mean probably mostly decision value Right. Like he got a little better at contact, but the real thing is going from average to top, like among the best in the league decision making by the end of the season. And a guy with that kind of power, again, making really, really good decisions, only swinging when he should swing, you get better stats out of that. Right. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a mathematician to figure that out. Right. Like that's what I love about rolling charts, too. You mentioned it earlier. I'm not a big math guy. I went to law school, not math school. But I do know that graph, like that when these graph, like for example, when the uh, decision value graph like keeps going up it when it's going to the right, that's really good. Yes, <laughs> like that yes. that means up is, up is good. <laughs> yeah, up is good unless it's the strikeout rate chart, which yeah, is actually we want that to go down. It, as far as like entry level charts, like if there's like a uh, you know if there's like a one that you want to break into, like uh, that that strikeout rate chart is really really useful. It's easy to get to. Um, we actually don't have it for PLV because we focus on the skills metrics, but both fan graphs and Statcast will show you the strikeout rate. You can use a fairly small, a fairly small sample size with it at 50, you know, 50 plate appearances. And man, it tells you a lot, it tells you a lot about what's going on with the player. Like we talk all the time about like pressing was the player yep, pressing, 100%. right? How do we pull that out? Actually, that's where um, strikeout rate tells you a little bit that back to PLV decision value tells you a ton about pressing. Yep. Right. Because if you're swinging all the time when you shouldn't, especially compared, yeah. compared to how you were before, that looks like pressing. Yep. Right. Like that. Like it's it's really cool at picking out, again, some of these narratives. And that's where all of this comes in. Rolling charts, not super predictive this way. Like just because it's going up doesn't mean we'll keep going up. Right. They roll because every player goes up and down. Yep. But if you need to project the next 50 plate appearances, yes, there are ways to do that using stats and all that. But like knowing the narrative to me is the most important thing, because if I understand, like if I have some, the way I frame it will very much change how I see it going forward. Right. Like understanding that like, Oh, Hey, look, yeah, the strikeout rates, you know, the strikeout rate is pretty stable, but Oh, look, the zone contact is falling off. Right. Like that tells me something. Right. Or, um, if I see like decision value just keeps dropping, does that mean it's going to keep dropping? No. Does that mean I'm super thrilled at the moment? Also no. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for to just any, any edge I can get is helpful. Right. Any, we all, we all can see the strikeout rate on the season and we can all see it for like the last 15 days or last month, but seeing how that's gone all season, or I, I know I'm ranting a lot here, but to me also very, very importantly, when this is going to come up a lot in April, 
We're going to talk about why is this guy hitting worse than ever, right? But what if it's not, right? Like, it looks like it's the worst because by the end of the season, he's always got a 25% strikeout rate. Right now, it's 35. Look up the rolling charts for the last three years. You might notice that this player hits this 35% strikeout rate over 50 or 100 plate appearances all the time, right? Because players go up and down. It's normal. Baseball is a game of streaks. That's the way I always like to say it. It's a six-month season. You could have a bunch of streaks in there. There could be two streaks. There could be twenty streaks. You don't know, but it's it's a it's a up and down thing. Um, and then just kind of to to wrap up what you're saying there is what I like is it kind of like you said it tells a story. It opens things up. It's like we talk about with the bloom boards with Bloomfield. It's like this is just like okay, this guy stands out. Now let me dig in some more. What's going on here? That's the whole premise of these things. That's why they're fun to talk about and kind of pinpoint thing like you know Tyler O'Neill. He had a back issue a lot. He was not even wanting to swing at fastballs inside because you couldn't turn on him anymore. So, like, there's this whole different dynamic of things. Like, if he gets healthy, he keeps the good swing decisions on, so on and so forth. Because, like you mentioned, his fastballs, he wasn't that good on. Well, because he wasn't even wanting to swing at him. Like, he didn't want to. It was just a, it was just his thing. Like, Matt Thompson, uh, big time Cardinals fan from Prospects Live, he, he, he mentioned it all the time when I talk about him. It's like, he does not go inside. Just little things like that, and then it kind of goes and coincides with you said fastball not good. Well, it checks out. He just didn't want to swing at him, so it it, it really is a thing there. The last thing I'll mention, and then we'll go to uh, your your hitter, your top two hundred hitters, and because I could talk to you about this forever, we could just keep spitballing things. I think it's a really good conversation. We might have to do some other time, or you have PitchCon probably coming up for it. But you mentioned uh, Kyle Bland. I just want people to, to look. Kyle Bland is on Twitter at Bland Alytics. Um, He's a full-time pitcher list. Yeah, no, just throwing that out there. And um, just a really, really good dude. We both got to meet him for the first time in Arizona. And he will be coming on the show in the future. We're just kind of ironing some more things out. But uh, really good dude. So he's kind of the man, the myth, the legend behind PLV. So check all that good oh. stuff out. Oh, yeah. He he makes the sausage. I just eat it, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> I, you can I, tell I, I eat it too, so we're good. Yeah, yeah. I, I consume the content. He's the one that makes it. And, and again, very, like, very, very cool stuff very great for narrative building. If you want to know like the nitty gritty of how these things work, like how they came to be, it's that go to him. I'm very good at, you know, I can tell you about what it means and, and how they relate to each other. But when you want, like, why does it, you know, why does it prefer players taking pitches, right? Decision value, like always favors players who take pitches, right? The more passive most often the better, right? Because most, Pitches are hard to do anything with, right? Like most major league pitchers, uh, you know, are hard to make contact against. And the only reason I, I, you know, I wanted to bring up pitchers just for a second. It's weird. Conceptually, fantasy baseball players are much better at understanding the concept of rolling charts when it comes to pitchers, right? Because it's not weird to them that certain pitchers will have a streak of two or three games where they strike out 10 guys, you know, three games in a row and then go back to striking out five because, Sometimes, you know, Nick Pavetta gets locked in every year for a little while and then disappears. Right. And we don't think that that's that it means he's a different guy. It's just what happens. Rolling charts help you understand that same concept for hitters, right? That sometimes they're like this. You can look back two or three years. You can see these low points like Kyle Schwarber stinks for chunks of the year, every year. We just know this about him. Nothing's wrong with him during this time. It's just the nature of his game right? Yep. That he has a weak spot he, and then he fixes it. That's what makes him a incredible major league player. So he yep. fixes these weak spots and then has tears that no other player can match for, you know, 50 games at a time, right? Rolling charts help you understand what these players do and how they do it and what it looks like, because it's amazing. I mean, you 
you write a lot about fantasy baseball. I write a lot about fantasy baseball. It's amazing how many times people will come to you and say, what's wrong with this guy? Should I cut him? Is he done? Is he cooked? <laughs> right. Even though it's like a long-term major league player. And it's like, well, actually this happens every year, right? Like people ask me about this guy every year because it's just the nature of his game. Let the rolling charts tell you not just like what's going to happen, but what's happened in the past, what it looks like. It's a great point. And that's uh, something I need to utilize more of because you're right, especially in April and May every year. It's should I cut this guy? That kids are just the end of the world for getting there's five, four to five more months of baseball to go. And these are like, like you said, Schwarber, professional ball player, pretty good. Like, like there's, there's some of these guys and, and sure they're not all going to figure it out, but uh, more often than not, the back of the baseball card wins. Yeah. That's how Don't I look fall at for Paul DeYoung and Owen Miller every single year, right? Like every year they have like a good 15, 20 day stretch. And everyone says, should I add them? I'm like, yeah, if you want to cut them in a week and a half, fine. Yep. Exactly. Right. Because like we see this every year, this is what happens. They're good for a short stretch. And then pitchers remember, oh yeah, just don't throw them strikes. Yes, and then they exactly. stop doing that. And the players stop being good. Right. Like it's amazing. You can see these, like whenever you see a hot player, just go look at a rolling chart really quick. And yep. see if this is something that happens a lot. Like they get do hot they for this? a little. Yeah. Like these tropes happen all the time. They're real. Right. Like, and it's not because these players have now figured something out and then magically forget. It's just because some players they're good enough to be major league ball players. Cause they're good enough to do this for a short period of time. Yep. And then pitchers actually scout them and go, Oh yeah, that's right. There's I can beat this guy. There's a big yeah. hole. We could attack because that's why you're a you know, quad a player. That's yeah. where we're at here. Yeah, 100% with you there. That's fun. Uh, rolling graphs for the win. They keep getting more and more popular for a very good reason. So let's talk about top 200 hitters for 2024. I'm pretty sure we will not see Paul DeYoung and Owen Miller on them. So we got that going for us. Um, that was kind of a couple things here. Like I finished up my preliminary rankings. I posted them all and done my thing with those. Um, how did you go about ranking your players? You know, it's December and you, you wrote 22,000 words. So you probably started it in November. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're crazy like that. But um, everyone's got a different way to to make the sausage, as you mentioned earlier. So how do you go about kind of making your rankings in December? Yeah, so it's the, the two main tools we have with, well, we have three main tools available to us right now to do that, right? We have historical stats, we have a few projections that might be out, and we have NFBC ADP data, right? Um, those tend to be my starting points. Like, you know, basically the earlier you do it, the fewer of those tools you have available to you. Uh, I like to start with those three, uh, not because like it's, it makes the real like base point of, Oh, I pull up the ADP list and then I just start moving things around. Actually, what I find really valuable starting with ADP data is sometimes there's guys way higher than I ever would have thought to put them. Mm -hmm. And that tells me there might be something to look at here 100%. right now. Sometimes it's just a weird min pick. Right. But, but sometimes it's like, man, everybody's really excited about Nolan Jones. And I know he was good in September, but why, like what happened back to rolling charts? I look at a couple of those. I look at some season long stats. I, I try to figure out what that is. And then I can come up with sort of a ranking for him, but ADP is a great starting point. Um, projections are the other, uh, I, I like projections because, um, I can't conceptually just hold like 400 hitters in my brain. I can't do that. 100%. Uh, projections do a great job though, of giving you a starting point of like, okay, um, who looks like they might get some playing time, right? Or like players who, who may not be projected for much playing time. Like, you know, what, what does steamer think of some of these guys who haven't been to the majors at all yet? Right. Like steamer has spent time thinking about how to translate these minor league stats to major league stats. Right. They, <clears throat> it gives me a viewpoint. Again, it's not somewhere where I'm like, okay, steamer says he's better. So he's better. Right. I mean, nobody, nobody really thinks that way. 
But what it does is say, oh man, Steamer really doesn't like this guy coming to the majors. Why are they so down on him? Right? Like what, what is it? What about his stats? You know, what, what about this, you know, maybe triple a track record doesn't, you know, doesn't pass muster. Like why does they think he stinks? It gives me a starting point for looking at players just like ADP does, right? It's just a, I need a starting point to say, what do I need to understand about this player? Because there's very few players where you can just say, well, it's probably going to be the same thing as last year. There are a chunk of those guys. Uh, but for the most part, it's like, okay, I need a starting point. I need some sort of narrative in my head about what this player could be. What weren't they? What were they? What could they be? And from there, you kind of like can just start putting down players and you start out with this big list and then you just mess with it for like a week. As I'm right. Like, so I had this great Excel spreadsheet that I was going to use to be like, okay. And then when I do my position ranks, it's already here. Uh, I lost track of it because I kept changing ranks while I'm writing, right? Because yeah. I'll be right. You know, I'm writing up a blurb and I, I go, Oh, let me, let me go check this stat real quick. Make sure I say this right. And then all of a sudden I see something interesting. Right. Like, oh, whoa, the, the walk rate really changed in the second half. Is, is that, well, let me look at a rolling chart or, or let me look at like some of this. Let me try to figure out why that happened. And again, then you start, then you have to start making your gut call. Cause the one thing that really changes between rankings and projections is that projections is trying to tell you what's most likely to happen. Right. But that's yep. not really what rankings are <laughs> because uh, it, the season isn't played out based on what, you know, is most likely to happen rankings have to try to account. Yeah. But what could happen, 100%, right? Yeah. This is the most likely, but what could, that's why like Ellie De La Cruz will be taken earlier than his projection suggests, because it's not about the projection for Ellie De La Cruz. It's about the ceiling, right? Yeah. And if you're drafting floor. Ellie, you're drafting the ceiling. That's what you're going yeah. for. And so much of ranking is just about, okay. Projections deal with floor and ceiling one way, which is sort of average it out in a mm. way, like not just the median, but like it figures out a point between those two. Whereas ranking is a little bit more organic for me where I say, okay, what does ceiling and floor look like? And where am I in the rankings, right? Like yep. there's this big chunk, like around like hundred to 150 where floor starts mattering a lot more to me, yeah, right? Fair. Like, because the ceilings are just so distant to get to, right? I'm not talking about like a 20% chance of getting to this. Now it's starting to look like a 10 or a 5% yeah. chance, same ceiling, much, much more difficult path to get there, right? Like, you know, you know, I, I notice as I start going down, the reason a guy gets moved down is I'm like, how many barriers are there to get to that ceiling? True. He's got it. But what are the barriers? How many are there? Are they injury? Are they playing time? Are they actual skills? Are the skills just too, you know, too erratic, like a Christopher Morrell, right? Like Christopher Morrell, a little bit of a playing time problem because he doesn't really play any position well defensively. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, as far as like ceiling, huge ceiling, huge power ceiling. ceiling. He hit like 11 home runs in like 16 minutes or whatever it was. Right. Yep. Like, like he amazing ceiling, but man, the path to getting that ceiling is tough. Cause he's got contact issues. He has these long slumps uh, that are difficult for him to break out of uh, like the more barriers there are. And so like, I tried it. That's like that calculus. However you work that out in your head, that's kind of where your rankings for me end up. It's, yep. you know, how difficult is Ronald Acuna is number one because the floor is so high. Even like his yep. floor is based on how many games he plays. Right. Period. Because when he's on the field, he's amazing. Right. It's just that's how it works for him. And when the floor is that good and the ceiling is by far best fantasy player, right? Like by yep. far, it, it's easy to rank him one. It just it gets more and more difficult as you go. Hundred percent. And that's where it's like you, you said you said you did the ceiling to the floor. Where do you kind of land in, in that window? And 
I guess sometimes I, 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 even in my rankings, I like make a bigger stance on a guy that I'm really concerned about getting into that stealing. But it's like I know he's really good, so he still has to be up on the list. I can't like just totally tank him on, on the, the rankings. But I will move him down far enough where people are like, "Why is he so low?" I'm like, "Well, here's why. I guess I think he's more of the closer to the floor than the ceiling type scenario." And but that's why I think rankings are fun because they're our rankings. Like it's how we visualize the situation playing out. If you just want you know, whatever rankings, just then just go use the ADP. Like just go print out the ADP. That, that's what you want. Go, go use that. Where our rankings, like the way you do it, I think writing helps a ton. Like you said, writing blurbs for each guy because it opens your eyes. Like right now I used to my early rankings and I'm just kind of going off of, you know, I got the stats up. I got the, similar to what you're doing, but I just kind of put the rankings in a spreadsheet. I kind of, I move things around as I look at them some more and everything. And then I spit it out and I'll, I'll do an updated thing later and I'll put pen to paper on a lot of that. But uh, initially, and, and that's what stinks is I'll I'll start doing more stuff. And go, oh, man, I should should change that ranking like that. That's wrong. But that's out there. We'll fix it later. It's December, but uh, it is fun to kind of piece the puzzle together and the the whole uh, you know biases that might be in play, even though we don't want to admit they're in play type things and all that all that good stuff. Um, how are you ranking the younger players though? That's the biggest conundrum I have in drafts because I'm a very boring, safe drafter. Some would say. So getting like super aggressive on a young player is difficult for me, but some people will. Like you said, Elliot Cruz will go high. He'll go higher than probably anybody than I will ever take him in a draft. There'll be at least one guy in every draft that'll have him higher than me. But just all these other guys, Jackson Trio, once he got the deal, his highest picks now 124 in an FBC draft. Like he's skyrocketing up. How do you do those players? Yeah. So unlike a lot of folks writing rankings right now, I don't focus on 15 team and FBC. Right. So these are they're for pitcher lists. So I play by Nick's rules and that's 12 team. And that changes a lot of things. So I think one thing we talk about these rankings, I spent all this time in a 12 team league. Your rankings start changing at pick number 13. And that's because the vacuum is over. Yeah. Right. Like we we do all this in a vacuum, but the like I actually write in number 14, Jordan Alvarez. I actually talk about how you might move him down on your board if you started with judge or tatis right because they're both 100%. big injury risks yep. so you might not want jordan alvarez even if he's the next highest player on your board for your second pick because like man i already am very wrapped up in outfield injury risk and i might have to replace two of them before the season even starts right sure. like that's possible so it already starts changing but in a 12 team league i i tend i get to lift some of them up based on ceilings because it's a 12 teamer, almost none of these guys come out as like these young players that have very little MLB experience. Almost none of them come out as your first uh, pick at any particular, you know, like they're not your first round pick or your second round pick, except for maybe like LA De La Cruz. So you get to lift them up a bit and say, look, the replacement level in shallower leagues is so much higher. You are not sunk if you lose one of those players because there's good players that are come up that are going to come up on the wire more than once, right? Like, you, they can't just be stashed all year because in a 12 team league, you can barely bench any hitters in the first place, right? Like you, you got to have like all pitching. So uh, I get to raise them in this particular format, 12 team standard leagues, which, you know, it is an incredibly popular format. You get to lift them up because you get to take the risk. Now in a 15 team league, like I was in the, um, I was in the tout 15 team auction, right? Mixed auction. They moved down my board a bit because I know I have to pay top top dollar and I'd rather take those risks on players who I know the floor a little bit more securely, right? Like LA de la Cruz's floor is unfortunately 
really, really low, yeah. right? Like, like could get benched at times low. Uh, if he struggles that much, I don't think he will, but he could mm-hmm. versus other guys where you can take other risks at around that same time where the risk is like, I hope Adolis Garcia doesn't just like fall off with strikeout rate. Right. True. Like very different risk because I know like I can make a much safer pick. Cause I like, I know what Adolis Garcia or even Michael Harris, I have a much better idea of what that player, like what the ceiling and floor look like. Uh, so I'm more willing to spend that money because I'm more aware of the return. And in a deeper league, that matters because like the waiver is trash. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, it's so like, rare to find anything. I was gonna say like using the 12 team idea, you can be a little more willy nilly if you want. Um, at the same time, like you said, if you start getting injury prone guys, maybe get a little safer the at the the, the next few rounds. But the, it's definitely like the 15. It's more of a floor play more often than not than a ceiling play because like you said, that replacement value. Don't rush it upon anybody. Just don't. It's just not fun. Not fun at all in that regard. And that's I guess that's where in a 15 I get really nervous about taking younger players, let alone like your Adelises and stuff. Because younger players, like we all love them right now. But do we really know if they're going to play? How much they're going to play? Like there's a lot of question marks in there that make it very, very tricky that they can be super talented. Still might be a couple of years. Like we mentioned Jung-Hoo Lee earlier. Like the dude's going to be super talented. But is this the year to get aggressive on him? Probably not. I think I think a really good example is do we think Corbin Carroll is a different player he was coming into last year than we did this year? That's a good question. Not really, right? No, but we take him a player. whole lot earlier, right? That's fair. I guess you're, hope, you're hoping for 50 plus stolen bases in the past. Yeah, your ceiling. Bef- before we just weren't as sure of the ceiling and floor, right? Yeah. And now we well, got to know, watch. Yeah. Now we watched more of him and we have a better idea of what that ceiling and floor look like. So we can be like, okay, yep, for sure. I can take him. He's, he's my number four hitter overall. Yeah, that's Last season, point. we talked about how he could very well be a top five hitter yep. going into 2024, mm-hmm. but we couldn't make that call quite yet. Cause they're like, look, players struggle when they go to adjust. And, and he mm-hmm. did have some struggles towards the latter half of the yep. season, but we got to see so much of him. We got to see what like, rough stretches for Corbin Carroll look like we have a better idea of what those are too that changes the calculus on everything so that's like to me that's the hardest part with young players is that Mm -hmm. you're just taking such a risk and I I, there's no problem taking risk Uh, but you got to balance the types of risk you take right the injury prone rookie versus the performance prone rookie are two very different sets of calculus right because like if I know the rookie's going to play most of the season they're really you know they're known for being quite durable uh I can, you know, take the risk and say, okay, I know the certain floor, but Royce Lewis, his yeah. issue is not talent, right? The talent floor is fantastic. The, yeah, the, the talent page. risk is minimal, but the playing time risk yep. is devastating at times, right? Because yeah. he's missed so much time. So like even you can get that granular if you want, just make sure you weigh those different kinds of risks too, right? So sure. if you know, you've got, you know, if, even in 15 team league, you might say, look, I feel real good about getting my third base, you know, innings covered. Right. I, I think I'll be able to get them covered because I have targets later in the draft that'll get them covered. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to make sure I have elite level talent because my early, you know, some of my earlier picks are all safe with lower upside. Then go make the upside play. Right. Yeah. But like you, it just I I I hate saying it because like it makes me it makes it sound like my rankings don't matter, but they start changing instantly during the draft based on the types well, of risk you've taken and what you 100%, can absorb. 100 percent That's why. 
it goes back to the division decision value. Like these are all just like starting points to get your brain going to where you need to be able to go. That's why they say like learn the player pools so you can bob and weave because no draft is going to go straight down your rankings boards. But the rankings supposed to basically give you an idea of where things go. Uh, Jenny Butler has wrote some great articles on like making flow charts. Okay, if I go here to here to here to here, this works. Or I can go here to like have bailout plans basically. Like how do I how do I react if the guy I wanted in round three well, he's gone. How do I adjust here, which is going to obviously adjust my fourth round pick because now I got this position instead of this position. So like you said, like the rankings go out the window at a point, but they're still there to kind of keep you in tune of, you know, don't go crazy with certain things. When you're looking at stats, potentially, for your rank, like you, you mentioned third base innings. That's a, technically a, a stat we don't talk about, but it's stat because you want playing time, which lead to more stats. Do you have a preferred stat you like to use to maybe be like a tiebreaker for your rankings? Because as you go down the draft board, obviously, and you go down your rankings, obviously, five category guys aren't there anymore. You get into the fours, into the threes, and so on and so forth. So what's a stat you kind of like maybe prefer or did you think was shallow so it kind of got a boost for you? You know, this this ended up surprising me a lot because uh, I thought I knew what the answer was going to be. And it ended up being power. Yep. So power was something that just kept coming up for me that like, yeah, but if he only hits 15 home runs, right? Like it, unless it comes with a boatload of steals or an amazing average, like how can I use that? Because when you don't like, especially when you don't hit for a lot of power, you have very limited power. The, the other two stats get stuck with it. Right. So if you, you know, how, how are you going to score your runs or get your RBI? Right. Like that, those two, like, that's three of the five hitting stats, right? Like between home runs, RBI and runs. And so power, a lot of times became a thing that would really push guys up because, you know, yeah, there's power all around, but you'd be amazed at how quickly you start running out of for sure. 25 home run guys. Oh yeah. Right. And they're not, I mean, the wire, that is a tough game to play, right? Like to, to you can technically stream any stat or any position, I find streaming power to be very difficult because the players with a bunch of it are already gone, right? Like there's, there's very few players have a ton of power that are just laying around on the wire unless they don't play. Right. And then you need to line it up based on like, Oh, well, are they going to, you know, is this lefty going to see a bunch of righties or something like that? So, so that was, that was a, probably like the biggest thing I found later on earlier on, it was like balance, like power and speed balance. And, uh, you, you didn't really need the tiebreakers quite so much, but as you get later on and things are a lot more clustered together, I, I noticed that power got elevated more than anything else. hundred percent. I agree with that in a big way. And that's why I kind of force even my earlier picks surrounding that and kind of adjust as we go on. But um, positional wise, is there a position that stood out to you? Cause I have my theories on this. But I want to hear yours because um, early drafts, I, I get kind of, uh, not happy with a certain position as things go. But what did you find with your rankings? Yeah. So, so last season I felt like it was all about third base, right? Like I, I can't tell you how many times I talk about last season, how everything has to be about third base and you start with what's your third base strategy going. And there's still a little bit of that, right? Um, the third base really feels like very top heavy. First base was one that I noticed. I started feeling really uncomfortable with. Uh, because you, you run into flawed players really fast at first base. Like there's, there's really, even at, you know, even at that position, there's like three guys who I really, really like a couple more guys that I really like, but then you, you wait on first base and all of a sudden you're like, how does Josh Naylor 
ever look like the top five of the position, right? Like the, it's weird. Some of these positions I find I have a hard time with because after you get past the top five, you run out of guys with top five upside. It does get ugly. It does yeah. get ugly at a spot. That's so, one thing. Yeah. Well, sorry. Can I, keep going. Yeah. I'd say the one that made me again, surprised that I felt this way. It was actually shortstop. Um, yeah, because, because I felt, you know, I came in thinking, oh, with shortstop, you know, there's tons of shortstop talent and there is, there is a lot of talent at shortstop, but it's not the fantasy gold mine that I thought it was going to be. It drops off really fast and really hard. Like Hasyong Kim was a really good player for us in fantasy, but like he's nowhere near the value. He was like the eighth best shortstop last season, right? Uh, by Fangraphs auction calculator. Mm-hmm. He's not close to the value of number five. No, not, not close. Not at all. It, the, the drop off is just intense and severe. You start yeah. getting to negative values at shortstop sixteen. Shortstop sixteen. Yep. It, it, it's it's pretty wild at uh, shortstops. Like you said, there are a bunch of them, and there are a bunch that you can roster. That's fine. You will you will roster, but um, the return on that investment does not feel as warm and fuzzy as it once did. So I agree with the shortstop. The other one, I would say. And obviously, it depends on your league format. If you have three outfield, five outfield. If you have a five outfield league, outfield gets yeah. murky, murky quickly because it turns into you go from like five category guys to two and a half to three category guys real quick, like real quick. It drops off in a hurry. And that's a position that I'll, I'd recommend if you're doing 15 team leagues. Uh, you don't have to go crazy, crazy, but by the end of the round 10, I'd have at least three, maybe more. Like it's, it's, it's nasty in a 15. I'll say that much. So yeah, that that's an incredibly important piece of context because in a three yeah. outfield league, I, I feel pretty good. A three outfield, I wouldn't care. Three outfield, we're good. I'd be more concerned with shortstop, hundred percent. My yeah, when you hit that five outfielder, which is often in these fifteen team leagues, holy cow, does that change really fast? Big time, really fast because the again, you just start talking about really really flawed players really quickly. Right. Like you do not want to be, I, I don't want this to sound too mean, but like you do not want to be in a position where you're relying on uh, Brandon Marsh. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, uh, and he is going to be one of the outfielders drafted to start. Hopefully he's your fifth. If he is like, that's what you want. You want him to be your last outfielder. If so. Yeah. Cause it's a bumpy ride. Yeah. With, with you're you're drafting 75 outfielders. That's not including bench people. That's the point. Like it's who. Yeah, the if you just go by so if you just go by last season uh return value and we just pretend they all came over, outfielder 75 was Michael A. Taylor. Only played 388, you know, 388 plate appearances, right? It, it's not great. Like uh, hilariously, 76 is Mike Trout, but <laughs> he only played like uh, I, I'm just being he played, like, he like played a bit games. less. Yeah, yeah, but like again, you're starting to talk about players like Willie Castro. Hunter Renfro, right? Like Randall Grichik. If you have to be entertaining the concept of Randall Grichik, right? Like the championship is much further than you think, right? Like, well, you know, you know who you those players help. are. Those are waiver wire streamers. Those are not guys you're looking to. You're hoping you don't have them on your roster all season. Basically, that's no, the way no, I look it's at it. not a big fantasy football guy, but that's the defense you drafted because of the uh, week one uh, matchup. Yes, right. That was it. That was it. 
and that might be a philosophy on drafting. Obviously, we're talking rankings here, but just you know, talking out loud is as you're drafting, just plan on like at least one outfielder. Just your it's a stream spot for you. Like you're just gonna stream that position. So don't stress about it. Focus on some other holes. Like get some really solid three or four outfielders. Go get a good shortstop or whatever else, and then just go. You know what? This this last outfielder, we're just gonna play the streaming game here because Michael A. Taylor had great weeks. Willie Castro had great weeks. Did you want to play him every week? No. So that that's where it got really interesting. And again, we're so comfortable with this concept with pitchers, right? So comfortable, so comfortable with the concept of streaming pitchers, so comfortable with the concept of going to play some matchups. It works for hitters just as well. You can stream, like I said this earlier, and I'll keep saying Yeah, you can stream every position and every stat on the hitting side if you want. Some are easier than others. It is much like you can stream stolen bases. Absolutely. There are teams that are just really bad at stopping it. And there are very obvious positions where you'll see it's going to happen uh, in a 12 team league. Estuary Ruiz should not be rostered all season, but there are definitely times he should be because he's going to walk into, you know, like the white Sox who never stop anybody ever. Yep. Right. As long as he has money, Grandall is allowed to put on the gear. He's not, I mean, he's not stopping anybody. So Nobody. Nobody. if Ruiz gets that matchup, you, you start him every time. Or if yep. he like somehow gets to draw like Noah Syndergaard for some reason, you start him. Hundred percent. You start him because, like, what's the stolen base odds? Like fifty percent. Like he's going to do it at least, and that's that's why it's a it's a discussion point I've had in recent years. Like looking every year, you know, you look back on your successes of your teams or whatever, and streaming pitchers is getting more and more difficult just because the caliber of stream pitchers they're not going deep into games. They're just just there's just a litany of just concerns with these guys. They're not what we used to have where. Hitters, you can have a week like, hey, this guy's got Coors for four, then he's got this, or he's got Great American Small Park for three. Like, you can play that game so much more. Or, hey, this guy's going and he's facing, you know, whatever team, like the Pirates for three games. Their pitching's not like you, there's, there's ways to go about it where you can pinpoint things. Where a pitching situation, you look for guys with good matchups, but it could be a really bad pitcher. Or it's like there's just so many layers to it that I, I, I'm trying to tell myself more and more that. It might be a streaming hitter world now than streaming pitcher, which is a big flip over recent years. Yeah. And again, it's it's just so much more it's so much more viable than I think people realize because it the strategy used to be stream pitch focus on streaming pitching, get your hitters, plug them in, don't worry about it anymore. And again, with more and more, I mean, like people like Nick keep telling people who the good pitchers are. Right. Like it's very annoying. So what, like, what are we supposed to do? Well, like you can actually do the same thing for hitting. You can stream across your roster. Like some weeks there's not a good streaming pitcher to find, but there may be a good streaming outfielder, right. Who provide like, cause all you're trying to do, the whole concept of streaming is let me grab a guy who improves something on my roster for this week or these few days. Right. That's all you're trying to do. You're not limited to a position. You can stream relievers, especially in these 12 teamers. Bingo, bingo. Seven game week. Mm -hmm. Four of them are against the A's. You're getting a save in there, right? The A's are not winning four games. Like your only issue will be if the A's lose by five each time. Exactly. You're just hoping they keep it within three. (laughs) That's your biggest concern. Not the win loss thing. It's more, can you keep it in saves regulation? Yeah, but like a reliever, you know, it's funny, you know, we when we talk about relievers and, and poor Rick Graham has to deal with this more than I do, but it's like, oh, well, this guy hasn't gotten a save in, in three weeks. I'm like, well, there are some ebbs and flows to this naturally, but so just keep an eye on the schedule. <laughs> like if you're in a saves plus holds league, you need to be streaming one of those. 100%. Right? Yep. Absolutely. You have to, because again, you can stream every position. It's all yep. there. It's it's a great point. And the reliever thing is, 
again, it goes back to with these streamable options getting worse and worse for starting pitchers. And Nick's in the chat saying, just read my daily article, which is true. But um, like if you could stream relievers, like I say, it's a weekly league, not a daily league, like a lot of, a lot are changing to, you know, streaming a, a, you know, you said a team that's got seven games in the week and the matchups are great. Go get that, you know, eighth inning guy or something and see, see where things go. There's, there's a lot to be said about that. So I'm with you there. Going back to your list here, um, give me a couple players that you might be higher on than others. That's what's really fun. It kind of goes back to my initial question is we all do rankings differently. And they usually, in the end, they come out pretty similar because we're all kind of looking at the same stuff. But there, are, there will be differences. So what, who are a couple hitters you might be higher on now than others? Man, I cannot quit O'Neill Cruz. Um, again, massive injury risk, but what we, so at the end of, I'm still on this, you know, I'm still on this. I've never forgotten it towards the end of 2022. What we see with O'Neill Cruz is just this like click in his brain about decision-making, right? It just like, it starts to be like, he's like, Oh, I don't have to be bad at this. And he just starts taking off. It's almost like, I don't know if a coach whispers in his ear. I don't know if like the backup catcher came and gave him a chicken parm and told him something. I don't know what happened, but O'Neill Cruz starts making these better decisions. And when he gets into 2023, we only had him for like one month and the overall stats don't look good, but the decision-making keeps going, right? We keep seeing it. And this is a guy who can hit line drives at like 200 miles an hour. It's amazing. If he can just be an average decision-maker, we're talking about a 30, 30 upside player. Yes. Injuries are a big deal, but I'm still really high on it, especially in these shallower leagues. Cause like, again, I know shortstop is rough, but like you can, you can find a replacement and that kind of upside is just so hard to pass up. You run out of, you know, we talk about old oh, player has 2020 upside. I can actually say that for quite a bit through the rankings. I do say it for quite a bit through the rankings. There is a lot 30, more than people think hundred percent with you there. Yeah. 30, 30 ain't like that. 30, 30 stops fast, right? Like you just, you run out of players who have that kind of power and speed. So uh, I'm really, really high on him. I thought the answer was going to be Royce Lewis. And then I saw how high other people were on him. They're very high. Like some people don't care about the injuries with Royce because when he's healthy, they saw the grand slam barrage and they're all aboard that train. Well, and our, you know, spoiler alert, our PLV charts love this guy. Well, there's not Uh, much not like when healthy, he legit is awesome. Yeah, I will say one player that I am much higher on than than ADP or projections uh, who, you know, the ceiling isn't quite as high. Uh, Edward, Edward Julien okay. uh, over in, in Minnesota. So uh, he is a decision making uh, just like he's a god at it, right? Like as a rookie. So he actually starts out. So if you go back to his minor league times, I actually was a little bit rough on him during the season because I'm like, he got to spit on every breaking ball he saw in the minors and could walk a million percent of the time because in the minors, like most pitchers just can't challenge you with enough breaking balls as strikes to like get you out. He struggles with this just a little bit when he first gets to the majors, he's striking out too much, uh, Julian, but then it just like, he just keeps getting better at it. Keeps getting better at it. Keeps getting better at it. Keeps getting better at understanding the MLB strike zone at understanding how pitchers can attack him, understanding how pitchers put pitches together, right? Uh, and he also understands that like he can still do a lot of damage against major league fastballs. Right. So he just becomes pretty much the best decision maker in the league by the end of the season. Like one, like Juan Soto was not quite this good at making decisions the way Edward Julian was at the end. Like he's like off the chart above 90th percentile, right? Like significantly above, <laughs> uh, he was adding like 
the 90th percent, he was actually by the end of the season adding a whole extra run per hundred pitches in terms of decision value in our metric. Like it, it's really hard to explain. Like the difference there is just massive, right? Because like one run, if you're only adding one run per hundred pitches, you're in the bottom 25th percentile. If you're adding two runs per hundred pitches, you're above the 90th percentile. He was oh, almost wow. a three. <laughs> like pretty, pretty unbelie- darn good. Unbelievable how good he was at this. And he has power against fastballs. I think he can force his, because he's so good at understanding that strike zone and understanding when to swing, when not to swing, he's going to make pitchers throw him fastballs for strikes. And the moment they do, I think he can punish them. I think this is a guy who can hit, you know, 20 home runs, 90 something runs scored. I rank him 115 in the hitters. So it's weird that I'm this excited about him. You'd think, but like he's an afterthought uh, for a lot of folks. They're not sure if he's going to play enough. This guy is too good for the twins. 205 ADP. Yeah, but he's like, he's so he can, he can be so much better than this. Like my one fifteen ranking is like, I, I already hate it, right? I'm already looking and be like, why did I put Lord Scurriel above that? Right. Like, <laughs> why did I put, why did I put these guys? Like, no, right. Like he should be higher. Now I understand like, he's not going to give you speed, but this dude can score a bunch of runs. This guy can be just, um, I mean, in OBP and points leagues, he should be way, way, way on your radar. This yeah. guy is unbelievable at making the right decision. And it's, it's hard. Another guy I'm very high on uh, because I just believe in the changes he made a little bit more boring. JP Crawford, Uh, JP Crawford hit 19 home runs. Wait, that's actually more than he had in the uh, three prior seasons combined. He hit more home runs uh, than he had in his previous 358 games. Uh, And, and like, I mean, he went to driveline, right? He went to Jared, he went to driveline and he actually, uh, he helped him walk more, which helped a lot. He was able to score 94 runs last season. He's going to continue to be at the top of the Mariners lineup. Mariners lineup is a little top heavy, but he still gets to hit directly in front of uh, Julio Rodriguez, who's pretty good. He He's someone who, again, he may take a bit step back in the, like a little bit of the step back in the power, but like we were talking about with shortstop, like it gets ugly really, really fast. Yeah, 100%. And JP Crawford, especially if you're in a league that requires like a middle infielder, you're going to love being able to just plug this guy in there. He's going to score runs. Runs are a difficult thing to find, especially later on in drafts, because uh, the players that score the most runs are the ones at the top of the lineup. The guys who are at the top of the lineup tend to be very, very good. Uh, so you don't find a ton of players like JP Crawford who are maybe like a little bit of an afterthought for fantasy, but also bat first consistently. Yep. He's he's fallen in drafts still. Like it's a lot of people aren't believing, but I'm with you. Look at the adjustments he's made, and will he be maybe maybe he's more of a 13 home run guy? Still great for what he's doing. Scores a ton of runs. Could be a 19 and 20 home run guy still. There's still that in the bag. So I'm with you. Where he's going in drafts surprises me every time I see him there. And I usually end up scooping him up for some backup support at the shortstop position in a big way. Yeah. Last one, I'll say uh, a guy who I've just been very high on ever since he got traded from Detroit for uh, a player that actually just got released by Detroit, Isak Paredes uh, in Tampa Bay. So I love Isak Paredes hit tool, which sounds weird because his batting average is consistently below average or much worse, right? But this is actually... Isak Paredes had a really, really good hit tool. Is his best? It's the tool that carried him in the minor leagues. And when he goes to Tampa, Tampa basically finds Isak Paredes and says, Hey, we think you're really, really good at hitting the ball. We're thinking you're really good at putting the ball where you want to put it. So you're now going to put it over there to the pool field every time, right? Please do that every time. Take that good hit tool and turn it into a very, very specific skill. And he did it. 
So one thing that pitcher list does in their expected stats that uh, stat cat, or I don't want to say stat cats, what baseball savant does not is talk about batted ball direction. And there's a very good reason that baseball savant doesn't do that. Tano tigers explained it a few times, but what he does is says basically for the most part league uh, batted ball direction is noisy and random, right? Yep. But that's for the league as a whole. And it's true. For specific players, it is not noisy. It is not random. A really, really good tool you can use during the season is if you see a player who you think has really made a change to say, I am intentionally pulling the ball more, go and look at the difference between our pitcher list. We get the same stat cast data Savant does. We say, look at his expected stats at pitcher list versus regular baseball Savant, the one that everyone's going to with the much, much improved sliders now. But, uh, you know, Look at that. So Isak Paredes, when you look at the baseball savant one, looks like the luckiest hitter on this planet, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't think he should have any power. His batting average should be even worse than it is. And pitcher list buys it much, much more. And it's because of the batted ball direction, because we know that a ball hit in the air, 360 feet to the pull field is probably a home run. And to center to the center is definitely an out, yep. right? Every time, 100% of the time, it's an out to dead center. A 375-foot hit to the pull field is pretty much a home run 100% of the time. Again, two center field, always an out. If the player is consistently pulling the ball, right, go look at those expected stats. And I do that a lot because I think Isak Paredes and the Rays have really figured out how to get Isak Paredes to do this very specific thing, which is pull fly balls. He's actually in a park which is bad generally for home runs, but it's actually just fine to the pull field. Uh, in Tampa, it's, it's not a deep, uh, it's not a deep park to that part of the field. It's not a very high wall. Uh, it's not quite the Crawford boxes, but it's actually much closer than you think, yep. uh, like they have in Houston. He's going to keep doing that. I am all in on Isak Paredes hitting another 27, 30 to home, 27 to 30 home runs. I'm all in on another 90 RBI season as a guy who's going to continue to play every day. And for a race team that will just keep finding ways to score runs. So big Isak Brady's fan. Don't let the regular expected stats fool you. They are ignoring the fact that he is now one of the most extreme pull hitters in the league. Yeah. And um, for someone, like you said earlier, your power is a concern in drafts. Well, there you go. Isak's a guy late in the draft that can help you in that department in a big way. Who are some of the players you are lower on than others? Oh, these are always less fun. Right? Yes. Much less fun. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, you know, I, I want to say the, the first one is I, I haven't actually like checked to see how other people are ranking him. Uh, I'm just a little bit lower on Marcelo Zuna. Again, this is kind of out of nowhere, career high in home runs and RBI raises batting average over 50 points over the previous two seasons. And it's not easy to explain how that happens using pure stats, right? This is a guy with the previous injury risk. Um, there is upside that he could do what he did again last season, uh, this season, but whenever I see a player who like the reason you know, I'm big on narrative, that's why I talked about all these rolling charts. And when I can't find one, I'm very uncomfortable, right? If I just can't figure out why this happened, I don't see a major change in, you know, the batted ball stuff. I don't see a major change in approach. I don't see this stuff. I'm like, ah, why is this happening? I don't understand it. And when I don't understand it, I don't trust it quite as much. It's actually the same reason I'm not quite as high on Cody Ballinger as other people, mm-hmm. right? Like it was very difficult for me to really, identify like what made him so much better this season than in the two seasons prior. And there's not a lot of obvious answers, right? Like you'd think that there was like some clear change in his quality of contact. There's really not right. Like he does uh, have a career best strikeout rate 
Um, but like it actually came with a career worst barrel rate, right? Yeah. <laughs> worst hard hit rate is a below average exit velocity. It's so strange that he has this huge turnaround and his quality of contact was worse, right? Like that's, that's hard for me to understand. I'm not saying you can't do it again, right? Yeah. I rank him number 40. He's my 40th uh, hitter and I'm so uncomfortable with it yep, because that's-, it, it, that's a hard, hard path to success. When we kind of talked about it earlier in the show, like there's some guys you guys have to rank lower than others or whatever, even though you don't like the guy, you don't feel comfortable with the guy. You still got to rank them somewhere. Cause that's kind of the ballpark they're going in. And that's well, and the, the ceiling is there. I, I just yeah. saw it, right? Like he did yeah. it with these career worst things. And so if he feasibly, if he improves those, he could put up even better stats. I get better, that. Better. It's just, man, it's so hard. Like what, what am I attaching it to? I can't just hope a guy's going to fix something, right. Yeah. Or just that it's going to happen again. Does make it tricky. Any other guys you might be lower on? You don't have to be all negative if you want. We can call it a Marcel. Or you can go. No, others. no. Uh uh you know, I'm I'm not nearly as high on Vlad Guerrero as Steamer is. Oh, I'm not uh, I'll I, tell you I, that. I want nothing to do with Vlad his you know what people people will like him more than me in drafts. Let's put it that way. Now, on one hand, he's the opposite of Bellinger. He was actually like just fine quality of contact wise. Like it was not really worse than previous seasons. The stats are just lower. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, he, it was very disappointing based on the, you know, based on the expectations we're getting the, the issue just for me is like, we're getting further and further away from that 2021 breakout, right? He has a 2021 breakout. We just keep getting further from it without seeing like a return to that level of success. How many more times do we, how many more times that need to happen before we just accept like maybe Vlad just like is a little bit less than that, right? Like not again, not a bad player. I rank him 24th. He's a good hitter. It's a really, really high floor. But if the ceiling isn't as high as we thought it was one or two years ago, at that point, like the top three tiers right now and the way I have that actually Vlad's the last player in those top three tiers, um, number 24, like that is a really, really dense population of players. Like the first couple rounds of hitting is really, really deep. So it's, you know, if you like it, I almost didn't have him in that tier. Cause I'm like, do I really believe Vlad Guerrero will have a better season than some of these guys? Right? Like how does Vlad Guerrero really approach the kind of season that Corey Seager had? Right. I, I'm not sure I see it anymore. That's the problem there. The last guy I'll mention Trey Turner. Yeah. It is insane. How much of that production comes in a single stretch of 34 games, Yep, 34 games. Trey Turner was a good fantasy producer for the remaining 100 something games. He was not, he was a below average player. So if you're in like a week, if you're in like a head to head cats league, like weekly, um, he was actually a huge drag for you, except for those few weeks in the playoffs. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) He he wasn't good at the end of the season either. Last couple weeks. That's true. It was more like, um, August. It was, yeah, it was August 5th. I actually, I, I looked at it. It was August 5th to September 12th. Yeah. Right. He hits 385 in that stretch. He slugged 830. 40% of his counting stats and extra base hits come in a 34-game stretch. Yeah. 40% of his production in that one shot. There's a contrarian conversation. Maybe he finally got comfortable in Philadelphia with the new deal, but then, like you said, he finished pretty poor. Playoffs were okay, though, so... It's interesting. I'm with you. I'm concerned. I literally, I'm just started a gladiator draft right before the show here. And I had the ninth pick and Turner was on the board and I took Spencer Strider instead. Like Turner just scared me. And 
previous two or three seasons, Turner was like one of my top one or two picks guaranteed. And I'm scared at number nine to take him. I rank him as my 16th hitter, uh, Trey Turner. And again, we're talking about 108 games of the season, the, the beginning and at the end. He hit 236, 289, 367 with 10 home runs and 95 combined runs in RBI. Yeah, that right was in now. the... Yeah. And, and then at, at the end, he was even worse, right? Like he was, he was just not good for so long. That terrifies me. Yeah. I have him as my second shortstop. I haven't been like, a, I, I just dumb position so far. He's the ninth hitter off the board in the NFBC. Um, but if you look at him, he's gone as high as second, as low as 17th. Your 16th, I don't mind. Like, obviously, you're going to factor pitchers in there too. But I kind of like that turn on a 15 team potentially like i can i can understand that let's put it that way so yeah i ranked him right behind Corey seager actually so i do, that, I do like Corey a lot so I, that's fair I, I do too and i just yeah man I, i'm i'm lower on him but again it, I, I obviously understand the ceiling the number of yeah. players that are capable of doing what he did for 34 games is like not, yeah, many, not many right not many. like there's ronald acuna and maybe somebody else <laughs> it's you know again i, I talked about boba in 2022 two actually has like a crazy stretch like this. And, and it's important to note that superstar, like, you know, a player's a superstar because they can do something like that. Like at any given time, they can have an amazing month at any given time, not at one time, like a Paul DeYoung. I mean, any given time they could do it. Mm-hmm. So I, I respect that, but also terrified. Yeah. Terrified for sure. Especially in an early pick, you don't want to be terrified in your early picks. Those are the ones you're, you really want to trust in your early picks. So let's talk about a few players that you broke down. We've already talked pretty good amount about LED, the cruise. Did you have anything else you wanted to add on him? I, I think we, you're very optimistic on some more improvements from him. It sounds like. Yeah, I really am. I, I respect the floor 15 team leagues. You got to care about that a little more, but again, you players have this kind of ceiling. Yep. And then O'Neill Cruz, we know you love him. You mentioned him a second ago, so we're good there. Now let's have some fun. And I laughed at like I made this list, and I'm like, wait, it's all young players. No wonder these are the biggest question marks in the world here. So let's get to him. CJ Abrams. This is a guy that I love because I laugh. My gladiator drafts are you now people think they're crazy, and they are. You only draft 23, there's no bench. But to me, it was looking back and going, okay, you drafted these in December. These are guys that you're already going in on, and you had some, some trust in it. And I had CJ Abrams everywhere in gladiator drafts i, I liked his upside um uh, did it, i think he'd be this guy no but he had 18 homers 47 steals finally got to play every day which i love he's super young he's gonna be 23 this year like really really young what do you have in your rankings when you look at cj abrams are you optimistic on similar results better results are you concerned what are you seeing with cj yeah so uh, you know first I hope people don't get mad at me. He he's my 47th overall hitter. Uh, but that's because these rankings are for 12 team head to head categories where steals matter a lot less. This is a guy with 90th percentile contact. CJ Abrams can put his bat on the ball. He won't hit it very hard, but he will hit it. Right. I think the biggest thing with CJ Abrams was if you recall, he actually only had nine stolen bases by the end of June. Yeah. It was a second half barrage. It like out of nowhere, they just decided that, oh yeah, he is fast. He stole 16 bases in July after getting the leadoff roll. He had been hitting a little better. They put him in the leadoff roll. He stole like 50% more bases than he had the entire season prior to July in July. Right. And they don't play for a week in July. Right. Like he stole 13 bases, uh, 16 bases in July, 13 more in August, nine more in September. So 
you have like the, I'm a big fan. I think that he can just, you know, his, his ratios are not going to be that great. Cause he pops out quite a bit. He, again, that, that crazy contact ability comes with him also being very, very aggressive. He tries to put a lot of balls in play. Cause again, when you're that fast, you're like, this ball doesn't need to go very far for me to get to first base. Right. Like I don't need a lot of time says CJ Abrams to get to first base. Yeah. Uh, but it also means that the ratios overall are going to stink. Cause he he'll hit a lot of balls that are just really hard to do anything to slugging will always be bad. The OVP is not going to be great. Cause he ain't trying to walk. He's a runner, right? Mm -hmm. Like why walk right when I can run faster. 100%. So you, you got to But again, he's really, really good at making contact. That means the floor is, I think still very high. As long as Washington is just going to keep letting him run like he did in the second half. This is a player who I think could find a way to 20 home runs and 50 stolen bases. It's a crazy ceiling. He could be a Corbin Carroll duplicate. That's what's inter interesting. Maybe not as good of an average, but that 20 right. homer, 50 steals. Pull the ratios there. and like some of the counting stats off. Yeah, because like Nationals versus speed. Speedbacks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that that's one of those. It, I I only like to make those comparisons because obviously, like you hit on the few things that where they differ. But if it's one of those things and you're trying to build your team, like I always say, we hit said it already. Have a game plan when you're going to your draft. Have a game plan. And it's like, okay, if I like Corbin Carroll, but I can't get him, but I liked him obviously because there's some pop and some speed. Well, maybe make a point to get a, a CJ Abrams to kind of cover that bit. I don't know. There's just ways to go about it to think about when you're piecing it all together. This next one's going to be very entertaining to me because I am a big Nolan Jones fan, but I will be 100% uh, clear on this one. ADP wise is very challenging for me. You know, 2020 last year on 106 games, that's great. You have him as your 59th hitter. So I am very interested in what you see in Nolan Jones that makes you push him much farther down compared to most people out there. I I want to understand why most people out there are so high. I think they're seeing the like, combo. That's all it is. I think it's strictly all it is. And again, he was like, I mean, he was excellent. So September specifically, right? I mean, that's the part. If you just look at like the month by month stats, you, you pull up September, you see that 16.4% walk rate, 21.1% strikeout rate, amazing ratios. The strikeout rate, I'm almost like reading my, my piece in the article. Basically the strikeout rate, what stand out for a month, he had it down to 21.1%. We'll also remember that they actually played in Colorado quite a bit at the end of the season, right? So that might've had an impact uh, and I see a path for him to like 25 home runs, 20 stolen bases with ratios that are good, but variable, right? Like they're going to come up and down, um, just because he's going to have stretches where they spend, you know, a week and a half on a road trip. And then he's going to be back home. It's very hard to be consistent as a Rockies player. Uh, Nolan Jones, again, he's got a ton of power. Keep in mind a little bit that, that Coors does a lot of things for power, but it kind of split. It doesn't just give you more home runs. It actually takes some of your home average. runs. Yeah. yeah. It takes it away. turns it into doubles, right. Instead of outs because the outfield is just massive. Right. So, uh, strikeouts are still a problem, right? He, he needs to take a step forward in decision-making against breaking balls, which is something that a lot of players have to do. It's really, really difficult. Now, if he does it, I think we can see more months like he had in September. Right. But I think that is going to be something that's incredibly variable. There's, there's quite a bit of risk there uh, because again, it's not as though like just because he did it at the end doesn't mean that's where his new starting point is. Yeah, right. True. It means he's capable of this, but most of the time he was not this mm -hmm. right. He actually struck out much, much more than that. And, and that could be something like throughout a whole season could be more difficult. I'm lower just because 
like, you know, I, I like, you know, I have guys like, you know, at first base, Christian Encarnacion Strand above him because I think the ceiling there is higher. He has elite, elite power. Uh, I think he is someone who's definitely got a path to like 35 home runs. Uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand, uh, he won't come with the stolen bases, but, you know, that's there. It's it's really the floor with Nolan Jones, I think, could be very, very low. This was this was a guy that I mean, it's not like he's been a Colorado prospect forever. No. And we're just we've just been waiting for him to come up. He's had contact issues before. Colorado does not make contact easier. It makes contact easier in Coors and it makes it harder everywhere else. I have a lot of concerns about what that looks like over the course of a whole season. All valid points. And that's why it's just a fun like he got traded a year or two ago from the Cleveland system to Colorado. Still had trouble getting playing time in Colorado. Finally got the playing time. I guess the reason why I'm kind of optimistic is he's only going to be 26, so he's still young. But there are other concerns. Like I've always been a Ryan McMahon fan, and in the end, he's always like 23 home runs. He hits like 250. Like you look at the stats, it's like he finishes that every single year. And you think you look at the underlying stats, you you think there's more, and there's just not. So that's why Nolan Jones is a tough one. Another one that's you look at draft day, you look at the ADPs, and it's it's a very tricky one to come up with. And you mentioned there's other guys like we're the next one I'm gonna compare to. Uh, you had Jones at 59, you had Vinny P at 61, and Tristan Casas at 62. And these are two fun names. You know, Tristan Casas, monster into the season, second half, maybe part of the second half. Really good stuff. Vinny P missed a lot of the season injured. So my kind of question, I, I, I put them together like a versus. Uh, you have Vinny P one spot ahead of Tristan Casas, which at that point, it's like you're probably just grasping at straws. But um, how do you... Uh, you know, how, how do you, I guess everyone's so high on Tristan causes Vinny P coming off the injury. How do you have these guys right next to each other? Like, what's your thought process here? I can't talk about those two without talking to the guy right above them, which is Spencer Torkelson. These, these three, so, yeah, it's first like your first base tier. It's like, boom, 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 boom. I, I had, I felt I really wanted to break these guys apart to make it seem like I wasn't just bunching them all together and throwing them at the end of the tier, but I kind of just bunched them all together to throw them at the end of this tier because like they all kind of present some different things. So Torkelson actually gets to the 30 home run, uh, 31 home runs, 27 of them come on or after June 4th. Right. Wow. So he actually had uh, from June 4th on, he had a 41 home run pace, Spencer Torkelson. It's pretty good. So I mean, he's got, uh, you know, elite power. I think he actually has the most power of this group. Um, uh, he's the one I think who could very well get to four. If one of them, if you told me one of them hit 40 home runs, I know it's absolutely not Vinny P it's probably not Cassis, uh, Cassis. It probably is Torkelson. Um, but yeah, so, and I'm a Tigers guy. I love Spencer Torkelson. This is one of the best college hitters of the last decade. Um, I, I think, you know, he, he's really fun. So Vinny P right. What Vinny P represents is this high floor sort of moderate ceiling first baseman. Uh, Vinny P ain't hitting 30 home runs, right? So his, he, he did hit 28 home runs across the triple a and majors in 2022 is his full healthy season. Uh, a lot of that damage does come in the minor leagues. Uh, I, I think he's more, especially now that, you know, now that I'll have to play all those games, like, you know, half of them, at least in Kaufman, which is a very difficult place to hit home runs. I think Vinny P is like a 22 to 25 home run guy. I think the batting average is going to be much, much better than Casas, obviously, uh, just because Casas's approach is very, uh, very typical lefty slugger, like you know, walk, strike out, home run kind of thing. Uh, where Vinny P is more contact oriented, right? It's it's not that he doesn't have power. I think he can hit 22, 25 home runs, but he's very much like putting the ball in play a lot more. He's not trying to walk a million percent of the time. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Vinny P, especially like personally, like on Twitter. I, I think he's hilarious, but he's. he's 
he, again, he's a high floor guy. Uh, so in a lot of situations, like you might actually put Vinny P over both of the other first basemen. You might put him over Torque and Casas based on how your draft is gone. You need that yeah, high yeah. floor player. Yeah. Uh, but if what you're searching for is ceiling, I start with Torque. If Torque's gone, I think you got to go Casas because he's the one. I mean, he's got 30, 35 home run power. I think the ratios are going to, I mean, he actually second half hit 317. I'd be surprised if he continued to hit with that kind of batting average. That only happens if he keeps that strikeout rate down, which again, he did in the second half. 23.7%. Uh, that's something he can do, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think 30 home runs, 90 RBI, that that's all there. Um, he's extremely passive though, and he's really struggled against lefties, right? So I don't think the Red Sox want to platoon him again like they did so much last season, but you have to keep in mind that some of these positive numbers, like some of this improvement, sort of like he did start seeing more lefties as the season went on, but they did protect him from left-handed pitching in a way that they're not hopefully going to do in 2024, which I say hopefully because I do think Casas can get over this problem, but to do so might have a little bit of growing pains. And again, you can shuffle these three first baseman Casas, Vinny P torque uh, all around. If you want Casas, I have at the bottom just because I felt like there were a few more potential weaknesses in his game that could turn into something. All three of them, I think, are going to be really good. 2024, Casas is the one that had this, you know, he's extremely passive, uh, which I don't always like. I like that it's, like, for walk rates, um, but I don't always like it because, like, when you got that kind of power, you got to swing the bat sometimes. 100%. That's the, and, uh, you know, so he is a really, really good decision maker. A lot of that comes from not swinging. Um, pitchers don't give him a lot of stuff to swing at all the time. Um, but... Yeah, he's he's the lowest, but again, splitting hairs yeah. between these guys. Um, he might be the it's weird to say that I think Torque has the most power, but Casas might be like the safest bet to get to like 30. Exactly. Just because his you. just what the way he plays and his approach, there's no path to where Casas is like, oh, I'm gonna start hitting more doubles now. No, yeah, he's right. I'm, I'm gonna find that power alley in in Fenway. There's not one. Right. I guess knocking it off the green monster, but like that, that's the only power alley. Whereas Torx got Comerica can be difficult to hit home runs there, especially if hitting it towards the center of the field, like he did early in the year. Vinny P just doesn't have that power, especially in Kaufman. So uh, yeah, he's the one that might be the safest bet to get to 30 home runs. He's also the one that's most likely to hit like 210. Yeah, and I'm with you. That was why I like this this like grouping you had here. And you threw Torque in, which is great. I'm a huge Torque fan, so I'm with you, but I'm concerned like I believe I'm with you. I think he's a 40 plus home run guy, but in that ballpark, there's always a chance where it just goes and it disappears for a bit, which is terrifying. So that's why I liked the, you know, Vinny P. I think he's a great pure hitter. Like we're on the same page in all this, but uh, I like how it, it's, you said it there. It's look at how your draft's going and then you can pinpoint what you need. Do you need excess power? Do you need more stable average with a little bit of power? Do you want to kind of go for this guy? It's got a little bit of everything. Like what are you looking for here on your team? And that, that that's uh, that's pretty sweet stuff. Last guy I have here is Jackson Chirio. And this is a guy that is comes up in every show I do, no matter if it's Bench with Bubba or whatever, because he's the conundrum. You have him as your 100th hitter off the board. Um, since he got called up, or didn't called up yet, he got the contract, which will get him likely called up. He's the 120th player off the board in an NPC 15-team draft champions. He's gone as high as 124 ADP, which is probably like the – 70th hitter overall so he is moving up boards quickly what did you see when you ranked him at 100 because i have a tough time ranking him and i have no clue what's going on with him 
Yeah. So obviously like tons of power and speed, right? Like there's a reason that he's like one of the top three prospects in the game, right? Like there's a couple guys that can sort of be in that range, but he's like, he's kind of always up there. Uh, took some big steps forward. Uh, he didn't strike out nearly as much, uh, this season as he had in some of his, his lower levels. So, so that was good. I'm worried about the ground ball rate, man. Like he, he hits the ball on the ground a ton. Right. And you can have, like, you can put up a lot of home runs in the minor leagues and also have a high ground ball rate. The player reminded me of, this is not a comp. This is a, uh, issue comp is Jordan Walker. So Jordan Walker's got a ton of power. He had a ton of ground balls and it took some adjustment there because when he got to the major leagues, he just hit more ground balls. Right. And doesn't matter how hard you hit it. Right. You hit it into dirt. You just kill worms. You, you, I mean, it doesn't do any, you can't hit a ground rule, du- ground rule double off the infield dirt. Doesn't work that way. So that's my like concern. That's why I pull him down a bit. Um, I, I again, I obviously understand why people are moving him way, way up. I also wonder though, like, you know, how do you how do you project beyond 20 to 22 home runs in 2022, 20 to 22 stolen bases? Like I understand conceptually how you do it, but when it actually comes time to like put your money where your mouth is, that's a bold, bold move. I'm not ready to do that yet. Maybe spring training changes that. I don't know. But, you know, especially with that ground ball issue that he's got, um, you know, again, Miller Park's a nice place to hit for power, yep. but ground ball issues will make that tough no matter where you play. Yep. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I just looked. I had him at my 48th outfielder, and I didn't love it. I'll be honest, but I have him like right next to like Christopher Morel, so they both have warts. Depends on how you want to look at it. Um, it's just tough. Like the talent's great, we know that, but he's jumping basically from Double A to the Bigs. Um, there's just a whole litany of question marks I have, but you never know. We've seen guys do it. We've seen guys also struggle uh, at times as well. So I'm very curious to see how that goes. I'm curious to see how his uh, rankings and ADP continues to change this draft season. All right, there, Mr. Scott Chu, anything else you'd like to talk about here before we wrap things up? We, we covered the gamut tonight. That was a lot of fun uh, going through all kinds of good stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I was surprised that in my rankings, I ended up having Cheerio a little bit above, um, and this might be sacrilege. I actually have him a little bit above Evan Carter. Okay. Uh, and the reason is because I wonder, you know, I'm like, I think Jackson Cheerio can get to 20 home runs. I think Evan Carter has a hard time getting to 20 home runs. I think Evan Carter uh, has a hard time getting regular playing time. Yeah. Yeah. Among other things. Right. So, uh, he was amazing at the end of the season, but like that doesn't necessarily change the type of player that I think Evan Carter is like a good month is awesome, but it doesn't necessarily change who you are. And Evan Carter is a guy who I was worried about the amount of power he had when he got to the majors. I'm still a little bit worried about it. I think he can get to 20 stolen bases if given the opportunity, but where is he hitting in the lineup? Even when he's in the lineup, that's great. Where does he hit in the lineup? Uh, is it at the bottom? What does that look like? So, you know, I'm excited about what he brings to the table, but let's keep in mind, like Evan Carter only has 48 games above double a exactly. Like it's not this huge track record. It's just like, it's a very public track record, but it's Mm -hmm. not a long one. So, uh, he was a player that, that I was worried about. And, I think the other thing that really stood out to me as I did all this, the player, like the players that I had to move around a lot were the ones where I kept, I, I kept moving them. Cause I'm like, he's boring and I don't know where to put him. And like weirdly hard for me to rank was Brandon Drury. Yeah. Brandon Drury had that. a good season last year. Really good season played, again. <laughs> yeah. For no reason. He only like, nobody thought he was going to hit a bunch of home runs again. Like, Oh, the power will come down, but he could be okay. He had 26 home runs in 125 games, right? Like it wasn't quite the 28. He hit the year before that, but 
sure was almost right. Like, yep. is this like, is that what Brandon Drury is playing for an LA team? That's got like nothing left. Like, what does that team look like when trout's hurt inevitably? Yeah. Right. Like, ugh. but, and he's someone that gets hurt a lot too, man. I, I encourage everyone to just, you don't have to rank 200 players and write a paragraph yeah. about all of them. Like I did. In fact, I almost encourage you not to because it's <laughs> rough on your sanity, right? Like I encourage you not to, even though I know you're going to do it. Uh, but that try to do it just a little bit because all I want is for people, you know, it's very easy for people to like go to the comment section and say, Oh, I hate this list. Yeah. I get it every week. I write a hitter list uh -huh. every week. 150 guys. Someone always says they hate it. And I'm like, that's fine. You can hate it. Yeah. Um, I hate it sometimes, right? I get done with that. I'm like, oh, this is trash. I mean, it's what I believe, but also like I'm an idiot. Yep. So like th that happens. But keep in mind that like this, this exercise is very, very difficult and, and doing it like the, the end result you get from it is sort of the list that you create. But a lot of it is the friends you make along the way, as in what you learn about these players and what you learn about 100%. what you, you learn a lot about what you look for in players by just going through and trying to rank them, yep. right? Because you're going to come up with tough decisions, right? Like pre-injury for me, it was Ronnie Mauricio or Brandon Drury. Who do I like as my second baseman? Yeah. Right. It's a fair uh, comment. No. And, and who do you like? Like I had to make the decision of who do I like more? I'll tell you that uh, projections. And I think the NFPC probably like Trevor story a lot more than Brandon Drury. And my question is why? It's right? a great question. Why? Because Brandon yeah. Drury is a lot more, I feel like he's a lot more likely to hit 25 home runs. He's a lot more likely to play in 125 games. He's a lot more likely to get counting stats because Trevor Story doesn't play. And when he does, he's extremely erratic. So yeah. why? Why is the ADP so high? Right? Like I get it. Like it's not like I don't see skills there, but he keeps striking out a ton. Right? Yeah. I do think he could hit 20 home runs, steal 20, 25 stolen bases. But like there's so many blockers to that path. Yep. Like it's not, it's not playing, playing time is in he's got a job, but he's never healthy enough to have it. Right. So That's like, the thing, yeah. really, I mean, I think if I just like threw out on Reddit, Drury or story, I think everybody tells me so oh, you, you'd get blasted. If you pick Drury on Reddit, you know, I, you know how the Reddit streets work. Yeah. But, and, and like, you know, I, I do it Reddit AMA and I, and, and I love it even though, you know, I, I get, you know, I get burned sometimes it's fine. I don't mind that. Just, before you just like instantly go into like my brain says instant reaction. It's gotta be story. The, the whole process of doing these rankings helps forces you to really explain to yourself. Why, why am yep. I doing this? Not because an ADP is not a stat, right? Yep, like nobody wins and, and nobody won a league because they got the most value on draft day. That might be true, but the reason they won is they got the most stats. Yeah. Right. It's not about value on draft day at the end of the day. It's about how many stats you actually get. Yep. So, you know, if, presented with the option in the same exact round brandon drury or trevor story i think a lot of things would tell you there's a lot more you're getting a much better value from trevor story based on his adp and all that but you don't win leagues that way mm -hmm. you win leagues picking the right answer and it might be trevor story but it has nothing to do with the fact that his adp is earlier it has everything to do with the fact that you think he will be a better player or that he is a better fit for your fantasy roster make like going through and doing rankings helps you make that decision and, and helps prepare you for that draft. Cause you're like, look, 100%. I've actually thought about this before. I've thought about these two guys and what it looks like. Right. So I'm ready to make that call. I, I came up with the scenarios of when it's Drury and when it's story or, you know, even like towards the top of the draft, it's the same thing, right? Like you have to know where are, are you willing to draft a story Ruiz? I'm yeah. not. I, I that either. means to me, I have to get my stolen bases another way. 
I am not willing to use that, that quote unquote lifeline later in the draft. I'm not willing to do it because I just, I don't think he's a very good hitter, right? He's better than me, but I wouldn't draft me either. Right. Like Ruiz is not like, I just think he's too much of a black hole in every other stat. I, I don't want to get my stolen bases that way. I have to do it another way. So it, 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 it informs my draft strategy. And it also helps me answer questions where it's like, there's going to be a draft where I, I start get like, I start feeling like this is a good idea where it's yeah. like, Oh, maybe I will take, he keeps slipping. He keeps slipping doing this process. Like I ranked him, but like effectively he's off my board. I ranked him yeah. because I think he's important well, to talk about. And, and in a vacuum, this is probably around where he should be ranked. I'm never doing it because I, as I did the rest, I was like, I know how I want to get my steals and it's not this way. And that goes back to a point I made earlier. Like I'm ranking these guys here. I might be lower on them than others, but that's because I'm not going to draft them. That's kind of like my hint. That's my hint to people. If it's, if it's much lower than others, it's because I ain't going to draft them. Like I don't want them, but I'm, it's here because somebody else will like, here you go. This is where you should probably go in this rough area. But also to your comment about uh, doing the rankings, I've said it forever. Like if, if and it's not, everybody's got the time to do it. Not many people want to do it. If you can ever put your own rankings together, you're ahead of the game. Come draft it because it's your you've done the work. Like that's the way to do the work. Now, if you want to read mine, Scott's, anybody's, all the above, cool, go for it. Um, and what I suggest is, if you don't want to do if like a top two hundred, do like a top twenty in each position. In each position, just the fact that you had to research twenty guys in each position, because then you'll have an idea of like when the drafts going on, when positions get scarce, when you know statistics get scarce. You kind of at least know. And by the time you do twenty at each position, and obviously outfield, you go deeper and everything, you'll do over two hundred in the end. So you'll you'll have a good idea of the player pool and what you want to do, and it just gets you prepped. I know it's not everybody's got the time to do it. That's why we do it. You guys read our stuff, which we appreciate. But um, if you can do it, it's it's just a, a gigantic difference for you. Even if you don't bring it to the draft table. Yep. Honestly, no, it's just the whole it, prep. It's just the process. It is a great way to perform the exercise. There's other ways to do it. You can go yep. through my article and you can just like rage write down 20 names that you think I'm absolutely wrong on. And then go tell me why. Prove it. Prove like, it. That is actually, and honestly, I hope you do, right? Because yeah. one, you'll, you're probably going to figure out something that I missed. But also because like now you have the answer to your question. Like, why don't I want that guy in that spot? Like, yep. Those are the questions you really don't want to answer in the, like when the clock is on hundred percent, right? like you're not trying to answer a lot of questions when the clock is on, you don't have you, time. No, no. So answer as many as you can beforehand. There's so many ways to do it. Do your own rankings or go and just like crap on mine. That's fine. Get the, get the work done. And like, it'll, you know, my, and on the plus side, I'll get a click from you. I don't earn anything directly yeah. from the click, but you'll have done it and I'll feel happy about it. And I'll have exactly. my come up and so it'll be fine. But do those kinds of things, that exercise, that's what's very useful. Have those questions answered, but also, you know, at the same time, be willing to like hear someone tell you that like, oh, I like this player more, right? Like I had feelings about guys. I read someone else and I was like, I don't agree with that, but I am forced to accept that this is a reality and yeah. that you could very well be right. I don't think you will be, but you could be because you made a point and it's not wrong or stupid. Yeah, and I'm always open to a conversation if it can be cool about it. Like, don't just tell me like I'm a complete moron. Blah blah blah. Okay, I I get told that a lot. Cool, but if you want to like, hey, I I found such and such stat that kind of points this direction. Can we talk about? It? Cool, let's do it. Like, teach me something. I'm in because there's so many ways. Like we talked about PLV, we talked about decision value, we talked about that today. You know, there's 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 other tools on other sites that people use. Like, there's so many ways to analyze players these days. That if you can find a a kind of you know diamond in the rough or something that goes peaks an interest that maybe 
it, it shows something we didn't notice. Cool. Bring it. Let's do it. That's the beauty of it. And then in the end, you got to hope these guys can, you know, play baseball for 150 plus games and, and do that thing too. Nolan Jones is never moving into my top 40 hitters, but I could absolutely see someone. I like, I can absolutely visualize an argument that someone makes that I'm like, I get that. He sh- if you believe that's true, he should be in your top 40 hitters and you're not crazy and you're not stupid. Like that's a real thing. And, and it's valuable to like, know those things, right? Like me saying why I have Nolan Jones so low. That doesn't mean I think you should. I'm just telling you that like, we all we all can see like the different variables. This is how my brain did the calculus and spit it out. And it's 100%. the low end. And I, I get that. But yeah. I also understand it's because this, these are things I'm worried about. I don't like players who have to make these kinds of like we have to make the kind of adjustments he has to make. And I especially don't like it when you have to improve your decision making value against the type of pitch that moves so much differently every other week for Colorado hitters, right? When breaking balls, your problem and you're a Colorado Rockies hitter, it means breaking balls are just going to be an extra problem because you don't just have to figure out how the slider moves. It's how the slider moves this week Mm -hmm. because I'm not in cores this week or I am in cores this week, right? Like that's a very difficult thing to do. It changes your visual. Like there used to be this stack called visual memory index. That was really interesting. That said, basically your brain thinks that's going to move two inches and it actually moves an inch and a quarter. That's a pop out now. That's a massive right? difference in hitting the barrel of a bat in a big way. It's huge. You're talking about a round mm-hmm. bat and a round ball. Hardest right? thing like, to do. Hardest thing to do is two round objects creating the contact yeah. you need. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's a belabor the point, but like th- yeah. those are the things that like I'm telling you, you can basically uh, like you, I think you do a great job of that. I agree with everything you say. I don't agree with the the end, but I agreed with everything you said before that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. It's still a very good exercise. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That's that's the fun of it all, and that's why it's a it's a fun thing we get to do. This trying to be fantasy analysts and predict the future. It's a great game we play, but um, we will wrap it up there. It's been a fun discussion. I always enjoy talking to you. It's it's a great time. Um, once again, remind everybody where they can find you. What you know, you're taking your breather, you're taking a little sabbatical after twenty two thousand words. But what do you got coming up for in pitcher list? What what's what's down the pipe for you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at if the chew fits. My work is all over at pitcherlist.com. Um, I'm taking a little bit of a, a breather now. Really, the next big thing will be doing it all again. Uh, yep. not as a 200, a top 200 straight, but it'll actually be positional rankings broken down. Um, and I'll do separate ones for each position. I'll also have, uh, you know, my my top 200. Uh, it just won't be a breakdown of every single player that way. It'll just it'll be more of a, a straight up list. Um, but that that'll be the next thing. Cause amazingly between now and February, things will change because uh-huh. I will hear different opinions. I will see different things. Guys will get hurt. Uh, guys will find paths to playing time, sign contracts. They'll do stuff. So that'll, that'll probably be the next, the next big thing I do. Um, other than just posting a bunch of rolling charts. I've now have like weeks to just find fun rolling charts and, and put them out there. And if you find a fun one, please send it to me at if the two fits or just tag me or whatever it is you're going to do. Um, I love these things. Even if you're just like, Scott, I see this and it makes no sense to me. Like I might come back and just tell you like, yeah, that's some random variation right there. <laughs> or I might, or like, or you, I might dig a little deeper and be like, oh, so that's random. But look at this against fastballs or look at this contact the contact ability changed that's why he got more aggressive because he felt more comfortable hitting stuff you can you know we can do that kind of stuff it, it's fun I, I i could literally talk about rolling charts all day yeah no it's awesome I, that's why i enjoyed that wanted to talk to you about it and all the other good stuff that comes with it so you all better follow him if you're not already he's on twitter 
at if the chew fits chu chu fits that is scott chu everybody of pitcherlist.com thanks for joining me my friend always a pleasure chatting with you glad to be here and glad to go to bed soon <laughs> all right everybody this is bench with bubba episode 616 catch you all next time